Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Oh boy, here we go. This is exciting. We are going to be talking about the listener-submitted, Tyler-compiled top 50 movies of all time. I compiled them. I didn't. I submitted only 10. Um, and if there was a tiebreaker, I decided it. Uh, so, okay. But I'm not here by myself. I don't need. I need a. I need a co-host. Josh, how you doing? Uh, good. That's exciting. Josh, you're not enough. Oh, all right. Reed, how are you? I'm pretty well. All right, that's exciting. You know what? It just doesn't feel quite right. Robert, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? This is exciting. Oh, how are you all? This is like the Avengers assembling <laughs> if they were really ineffectual oh. at virtually everything. I'm assuming we're going to do like a barbershop quartet thing at some point at least. The like, B-sharps. Yeah, maybe. Oh. All right, Hello. guys, I got to go. Hello. I'm not going to do that. Don't we're do not it. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, four different keys. This is the first time that all of us have been on the same episode. We tried to do it uh, with the VidAngel episode, and in retrospect, I'm glad we weren't able to because I think three was definitely enough for that uh, that conversation. It was a great episode, by the way. Thank you very much, you guys. Um, Thanks very much, Robert. <laughs> we missed you though. You were there in spirit. I was. Uh, mm, yeah. All right. So okay, we are. This is oh. We're, so we're going to be counting it down. We're going to go from fifty. To number one, and here's the the basic format. Uh, from 50 to 11, we're just gonna throw out the titles, and then if one of us feels particularly passionate about uh, one of these films, um, either we feel like it does not deserve to be on the list, or it should be higher, um, or we're just happy that it's on there at all, uh, then then we will speak up. Um, when we get to the 10, that's when we're really going to delve uh, into each one specifically. Uh, so one thing that I wanted to do beforehand, and I will also say that at this point, listener... Okay, so we're recording this several days before the episode gets posted. So by the time you're hearing this, you will actually know more than my co-hosts. I know the total, uh, the, the, the finished order, the final order. The three of them don't know the final order. They, they certainly don't know the top 10, which is very exciting. So they're going to be in suspense this whole time. We only yeah. know up to 20. That's right. Yeah. And, and I then don't know some any. people chose to take <laughs> no ownership of this at all. And uh, I wanted to come into it and be totally surprised. And fresh. If I'm not going to know the top 10, then why know any of them? Yeah, it's all or nothing. It's pass fail with you. Yeah, exactly. Also, I'd, that applies I'd, in a lot of ways. <laughs> I I think we should uh, the three of us guess what the number one's going to be. That's now. a good call. That's a good call. And then uh, when we get there, whoever wins gets I like really a pie like or idea. something. Because yeah. you guys do know what the films that are in the top twenty-five. Yeah. So that you don't know the order, but because of how we've been rolling this out, uh, which is to say, uh, fifty through twenty-six, we just put the titles out there. But 25 through number one, we have uh, written blurbs about uh, the films. And it's uh, the four of us plus Travis, Jim, and Daryl. So thank you to the three of them as well for uh, participating in this. This has been a very fun project. And actually, I will take a moment before we do this to say that, uh, to remind everyone, the reason that I did this was because I was curious to know what the what it would look like for fans of or listeners of a christian based movie show 
to compile a, a list of the best films because we did it for Battleship Pretension for a top, we did a top hundred and Passion of the Christ, obviously, or strangely, number one, number one. <laughs> and right behind that, the Jesus movie, uh, the one that just gets passed around, the one that doesn't have anybody notable in it. Um, so, and that one wound up being fairly conventional in a lot of ways. The top 10 definitely was a standard top 10. And there are a lot of uh, fans, uh, a lot of crossover fans between this show and that show, but the context here is different. And I wanted to see if just the context would change the outcome of this list. And I'm pleased to say it has. This is a very strange list. Very conventional in a lot of ways. You'll find these movies on a lot of top 50, a lot of top 100 lists. Um... But when you see the films that rank high, it's I feel like that can be put down to an audience that looks at movies the way we try to look at movies on the show, which is to say, looking at not merely uh, from an artistic standpoint, which there's nothing wrong with, but also really taking into account themes uh, and as we get there, you'll see what I'm what I'm talking about. Especially when we get because uh, you guys have you guys have only seen fifty through twenty one, right? You've not 20. seen the top twenty. Okay, all right. So within this top twenty, you'll see what I mean. It's it's very very interesting. So that said, predictions for number one. Read. Oh, okay. Well, since I'm starting, I'm just going to go uh, with my gut and and say I think that listeners voted number one to be. Um, I'm going to say Casablanca. Okay. Robert. Wow. Uh, I'm just, I'm surprised to not find Ace Ventura 2 When Nature Calls on a list anywhere. <laughs> is it not? It's yeah, not, there. not on there. It's yeah, there. Josh. Despite him this picking it for all 10 of his. <laughs> Man. Wow. Uh, you know what? On a limb. Magnolia. That's okay. my guess. All right. Hmm. All Josh, right. your prediction. That's interesting. See, I was almost going to go with uh, with Casablanca as well, which I could see happening. And it is my favorite movie. But since you picked it, I'm going to pick something different. Oh. And I'm going to go 2001 Space Ooh, Odyssey. Good one. Okay. All right. This is very exciting. These are all very interesting choices. I have mm. a question, though. Question here, yes. A question is, this is Robert speaking. Yes. Do I have to do that? No, <laughs> I don't um, think so. Good. Um... We should all just try to do impressions of each other and just see which one is the real Robert. Ooh. That might get offensive, though. That's true. That's true. To me. I forgot about it. <laughs> um, the question is, uh, a little Price Waterhouse-y. Okay. I'm just kind of curious, how how did you tally these? I mean, oh, if, you get, okay. if you're just getting 10 from... So people ranked people? them. Uh, and then he just picked which ones he liked the best. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, I was like, I'm not including that. I'm only this, using two of these. This is my website. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, no, uh, so people would submit ten. They would rank them ten, uh, one through ten, one being the highest, and I assigned point values. So if a movie was ranked as number one, it got ten points. Two was nine points. Three was eight, and on down the line. So I would just, uh, I just tallied up. The number of points. Okay. They so call that a weighted system. Is that right? I believe so, yes. That sounds right. Interesting. Hmm. And uh, and I'm glad that I did it this way because I think if I didn't, 
the top 10 would look very different. And I will say that number one is number one by a fairly wide margin. You did tell us that before, and that's yeah. one of the things that's fascinating to me, which Here's makes me wonder neat, the most. Though, since I told you that, two came along and usurped number one spot. Whoa. And for a while I thought, oh, that's going to be the number one. And then late surge and wow. the original number one that I told you about surged to such an extent that I can now say once again, by a wide margin. Wow, wow. interesting. So, it is fascinating. And by the way, at this point, wide margin means like 13 points. Um, sure. Anything north of 10, I would consider a yes. wide margin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, How many people submitted total, or do you, do you have you that You know number? what? I didn't... I, it's, it's very frustrating. I didn't count exactly. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, at the risk of, of giving away our uh, total listenership numbers, I will say about 10% of our listeners. Okay. Uh, maybe 15. I don't know exactly. So less than 20,000 people. Fewer. Just I'm sorry. Fewer than 20,000. Just 20, fewer. Okay. Yeah. Just south of 20,000. All right. Well, so, um, can't get them all. <laughs> yes. So thank you for, for saying that. I will say really quick, one thing that I did do here is... Uh, I, cate- I, I, I categorized or separated out the films by decade to see which decade our listeners seem to favor the most. And I would say the 50s hmm. by a pretty wide margin. That's pretty hmm. good. Um, yeah. 50s, 50s, a great decade. 50s and 60s. Those yeah. are, but 50s, I'd For say movies. it's not close. 50s, definitely. Um, only one movie from the 30s, two from the 20s, hmm. uh, two from the 2010s. Right. and three from the 20 aughts so and then okay. everything everything uh, in between it's a uh, pretty sizable so. i feel like i'm always of the mind that i i would prefer that not as many real new ones show up in top right i lists, agree because yeah. i feel like yeah. you gotta give them time a little bit yeah that's they gotta live they gotta have legs mm-hmm. and i feel like that's i mean obviously with this with, with only two showing up in the last six years it's a it would appear other people agree, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I am surprised by only one from the 1930s. Um, but I guess I'm trying to think, what would I include? The one yeah. that is included should be. I, I feel like I know what it is. Oh, you know what? Actually, there are two big ones that came out that the year. The same year, yes. Yeah. And I... Yeah. Hmm. And now I remember which one is on the list, but... Yeah. So, okay. With no further ado, here we go. This is so exciting. It's fun having you guys here. It is fun. Um, I'm excited. You know, we're I'm a little together. nervous. Are you nervous? Yeah, I'm nervous. Why would you be nervous? That makes no I, sense Because you made us guess, and I could be wrong. That's yeah. true. I hate being wrong. Now, once again, the, guess, the guesses were two th- Josh 2001, 2001, Robert Magnolia, Robert Magnolia, and I picked Casablanca. I like the idea that we call you that now. <laughs> Robert, Robert Magnolia. Magnolia. <laughs> um, and then read Casablanca. Casablanca. Okay. So. All three great films. Mm-hmm. That's eh. true. <laughs> 2001 <laughs> I get it it's space um, no one can hear you get bored music fine <laughs> okay so starting with number 50 The Princess Bride I've got something to say about Princess Bride <laughs> there we go <laughs> off the bat uh, yeah wow. let's kick this off because I mean I love The Princess Bride The Princess Bride is a great movie mm-hmm. The Princess Bride became the go-to movie for an entire generation of them. It's like in, in my 20s, early 20s, it was like in the youth group, it's like, let's get together and watch a movie. What are we going to watch? Well, we got this, this, and this. Princess Bride. It was always Princess Bride. <laughs> and 
it kind of makes you sick of it after a while. <laughs> that doesn't make it a bad movie. That that makes it a go-to movie yeah. um, that has the potential for becoming something that you're sick of. Um, later in life, I got to like it again. I appreciate it now for what it is of its time. Very funny, great performances, um, great script, heartfelt, all these things. Uh, but it belongs nowhere near a top 50 of, of greatest <laughs> films of all time. Nowhere yeah, near it. I nowhere. Nowhere. And it actually, whenever I, I clicked on the first post of yours, it said like 50 to 46 or whatever. Mm. And I saw Princess Bride. I thought I can't go on. I I can't read. I can't read any more of these. You mean with life? With well, I, I contemplated it, but no. With Princess Bride, I actually went to watch Princess Bride, and it brought me back. So, no, I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't feel like it's that brand of film to belong mm. in the top fifty greatest films. However, I will say, you know, lo- love of film is a subjective thing. I guess we yeah. should kick that off. Uh, say that at the very top of this, that all of these films belong here, insofar as film. Is subjective. Our love for films are, is subject, subject, subjective, there and is, also, you know, bad teeth are subjective. <laughs> I don't think. I feel like I could objectively make an argument why uh, teeth are good or bad. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I would never have submitted Princess Bride. I don't mean to shame the people that did, because here's the thing. I like those people, by the way, that they like that movie. Well, I like everybody that that enjoys the show. You just think they're so so wrong, right? Is this so, so wrong for this list? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm incensed. Is, well, and I told people whatever they consider best to be, and I know a lot of True. people do. They make no distinction between best and favorite. Mm-hmm. I do, which I is do. why I did not submit Nashville. Um, right. Yeah. Why well, I did not submit King Kong? Go for it. Yeah, people could make the argument that because you could make the argument that art being kind of subjective or the quality of art at least that the uh the most people that enjoy it would be something that makes it the best and if you're going by that criterion which i think i generally would not but if you were i could see i can see that being in a top 50 list there's definitely one on that we'll get to later in the list that i already know about that was in my top 10 submission that i would only make a populist mainstream argument for that Mm -hmm. i would not make an argument for Mm -hmm. the things that we would normally go to with you know what we consider to be high quality filmmaking sure i don't think i would necessarily i think the film that i'm referring to and i'll mention it when we get to it is is perfectly competent and i would even call it great but in terms of we're, if we're looking at, at why it would be considered the best, I only included it because it is so popular and it is so well-liked that I, I felt the need to, to toss sure. it in yeah. you know, for that reason. And conversely, I think there are films I would put on my list that I don't particularly enjoy. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's true because they feel like homework. But, <laughs> yeah. but you recognize the greatness of those films. Yeah, yes. what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, thematically, they just, yeah. So... Uh, Princess Bride. I will say that I <laughs> um, years ago there was I forget I forget what what website did it, but there was a website that polled a hundred online critics, uh, including David and myself, and had us submit our ten mo- our just ten movies that we consider to be wonderful that should be the ten best movies of all time. And I went pure objective with it. Um, I did not include a lot of my own personal mm-hmm. uh, favorites, but then there are some that I, I think I can. I think I can always make an argument for Bicycle Thieves. Um, Bicycle Thieves was nowhere near this list. I think one person submitted it, hmm. me, and uh, that <laughs> bothers me tremendously. But sorry, Tyler. Um, yeah, it, it happens. Princess Bride's on here though. Yeah, I know. But so here's the thing. 
when that list was was completed, one of the ten best movies of all time was Back to the Future. Now, Back to the Future is a perfectly fine film. Sure. Although, as we all know, inappropriate for children. Right, Reed? Let's just calm down now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, (laughs) that's a fun callback. So, but I think what what has happened is that there's an argument to be made for the new classics. The movies that people grew up on. The movies that probably introduced them to the idea that movies could be more than they are um i know that and people that listen to this show are probably in our general age bracket and so you'll get a lot of back to the future you'll get ghostbusters you'll get princess bride die hard aliens Mm -hmm. but not alien Hmm. uh like in that list that i told you about aliens ranked higher than alien by by a lot Hmm. um You'll get uh, there. There are a few others that, but I that aren't springing to mind. But just movies from the mid '80s that cause these people to think about movies in a different way. Sure. And I think when you look at a lot of the structure of the Princess Bride, when you look at the the meta quality of it, the anachronistic quality of the writing, I think that probably struck a lot of people a very specific way. It did me. Yeah, it's it, Jen recently rewatched it, and I sat and watched a lot of it with her, and I remember thinking, like, this is actually pretty good. I, I have a natural knee-jerk reaction to it whenever people say it's their favorite movie of all time, because my first thought is, you're not trying hard enough, um, <laughs> which is which is dumb, because it is a perfectly, not merely perfectly fine, it's very effective in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And I should say, by the way, we are recording this July 3rd, so you will hear my neighbors from time to time pop off fireworks. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Um, yeah. So that that's something that I did want to say about Princess Bride and it the idea of the new classics. This actually happened again when Battleship Pretension did a, a user-submitted list of the top comedies. And I believe in the top ten, maybe not, but I think in the top ten was Big Lebowski. And hmm. we were talking with uh, comedian Wayne Fetterman, and all three of us kind of had the same reaction, which was, instinctively it's like our shoulders hunched a little bit not because it's a terrible movie i think it's a very effective comedy yes but we all just had this thought of it seemed wrong to put that in a top 10 and then you just come to realize like i guess it's not going away i guess for Mm -hmm. a lot of people this of a certain age group this is a comedy that just made them laugh like nothing else Mm -hmm. and I'm sure for people of a different age bracket, the idea of Airplane, which is usually my vote, mm-hmm. either that or Dr. Strangelove for like the best comedy ever. Um, some people might be like, Airplane? Really? There's nothing to that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pure jokes, yeah. which is my argument for why it should be included. But right. um, there is just there is an element uh, and it doesn't show up actually much on this list once or twice uh, of just, I guess it's it's a populist thing, but also the really the really bad movies that are popular for a while they tend to fade away mm-hmm. princess bride is a very very good if not great movie yes mm-hmm. i don't think it belongs on a top 50 but there's a reason it's not going away yeah one thing i think is is interesting too is i don't know that we'll come to a lot of movies where this is the case but uh I feel like this one may place higher on this list specifically because of the audience if that makes sense okay because if you're going to pick a comedy uh, 
it, it is a safer comedy than someone's, if that makes sure. sense. And if you're a, I can't think of anybody ever being offended by the Princess Bride. Yeah, exactly. No. And and I think if if we're coming from an audience that's a lot of Christians, I think a lot of us saw that when we were younger because it was a comedy that we were allowed to see. Yes. Yeah. And so it could be it could be effective for a lot of people because of that. I will also say that at this point, I'm like. Maybe okay with it. We're probably going to get halfway through the list. And I'm going to be there's a lot of comedies that aren't on this list, and then I'm yep. like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I would boot Princess Bride yeah. <laughs> by also, the time we get to 25. Yep. Also, I'll okay. see. I'm sorry. Go also ahead. Also, counter to what you just said, um, there are some comedies on here that aren't safe. Mm. So I just it, that's what makes this list interesting. Mm. Given that is our, interesting. Given the audience is there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I will say, by the way, there was a tie, a two way tie for number 50. So I I ultimately made the decision. For Princess Bride to be in our top 50. Whoa. I can tell you what it beat out. I can tell you what number 51 is. It is The Dark Knight. Whoa. Oh, interesting. I chose Princess Bride over The Dark Knight. I would agree well, with that choice, though. I, think I would totally agree Can you agree describe your reasoning? Uh, it's been around longer, and I, I'm, I naturally tend, I tend to go against the idea of recency bias. And even though right. The Dark Knight is probably going to hang around for a while... Um, Princess Bride has, at this point, stood the test of time. It is, right. mm-hmm. you know... 30? It is 30 years old. Almost 30? Yeah. Almost 30 years old. And people still talk about it. Yeah. And I think people are still influenced by it. Whereas The Dark Knight, we can see... The influence that I can see of The Dark Knight is an immediate and negative one. Which is people thinking that uh, superhero movies needed to be dark and gritty. Sure. Right. And no one pulled it off great. Others have tried... It didn't work for Amazing Spider-Man, didn't work for Fantastic Four, is currently not working for Superman. And so that's not the Dark Knight's fault. But as far as influence, it also, I will say this, it did legitimize in the eyes of a lot of people, superhero movies. Mm -hmm. You know, Heath Ledger won Best Supporting Actor. And so I think that's that's the role that it has played. I want to get at least 10 years out before I look back and say Dark Knight is one of the best if you if if this were a list of action movies i'd probably i'd have no problem including it certainly over the princess bride um <laughs> there's been a great battle there's but, sword uh, fights but yeah so that is number 51 if you were somebody that submitted the dark knight and you feel that i have uh screwed you out of something you throw a I brick apologize. through his window or something um start your own podcast is what I <laughs> there you go um okay number 49 now, we are not going to spend as much time on each one as we did just then. In fact, <laughs> we're, we're in not going to spend much time on Princess a lot Bride of earned it. <laughs> um, number 49, Singing in the Rain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, that's a film that I love a lot. That might, you know, we were just talking off mic a little bit earlier about musicals because I happened to watch Cabaret last night. Um, I go back and forth and think Singing in the Rain may be my favorite musical. Singing in the Rain is a movie that I respect but do not enjoy. Um, I'm with you. I enjoy parts of it. Donald, Donald O'Connor, I can watch any day of the yeah. week. It's visually gorgeous, Singing mm-hmm. in the Rain. Um, but I just don't... And I like, actually, the story behind it, but I think, for the most part, it's just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Moving you. on. 48, Tokyo Story. Love it. I've never that, seen it, actually. That is a so. reversal of <laughs> I <know>. direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll get a lot of that on this list. Yeah, Tokyo uh, Story, I, I should say that I have been... Uh, Watching a bunch of Ozu, mm-hmm. Yasujiro Ozu, he, who made uh, Tokyo Story. It's considered, I've only seen this in late spring. But, well, those are considered his best films. But those films are like 
the 30th, like 25th or 30th that he made. And I mean, he just like, he's got oh, the yeah. foundation of that kind of story behind him for like 20 years behind that. Did he start in the silence? I feel he like he started he, with silent films. Yeah. Like, uh, he was still making silence because I guess because of the economic travails of Japan mm-hmm. at the time, he was making uh, silent films into the late 30s, mentally 30s. Yeah. And so, actually, if you have Hulu Plus, um, most of his films are on there, and that's where yeah. I've been watching them. And I'm up to the first color film, which is like 1958 or something. It, 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 it I just I'm, which is his first color film? Uh, it was oh, you put me on the spot. <laughs> Sorry, e- e- Equinox Flower. I okay, f- I forget. But um, it would talk after watching maybe 10 or 12 or 15, however many it was, black and white films, and then suddenly seeing it in color. It's like yeah. amazing what he did with color. Hmm. Um, but Ozu is this very specific, particular kind of filmmaker who, at first, you're going, "Why am I watching this? Why?" It's it's first of all, it's so uh, it's so overwhelmingly Japanese uh, culturally, and the way they respond to each other and ask questions or don't ask questions or don't say these things. It's a very refined, restrained culture, mm-hmm. and he shows it. But that's what makes it beautiful to see anytime someone has an emotional response it could be the slightest thing but in the space of an hour and a half of nothing but withholding mm-hmm. it's, it's like watching a Jane Austen movie or something it's, yeah. but set in this very austere kind of culture there's a lot more weight when it does a lot more weight through. and almost every one of his at least the first half of his movies were about family mm. and he just kept culling this this material over and over again and if you just looked at the descriptions of all of his films, you go, oh, he just made the same movie and over, over and over again. In a way, he did. <laughs> yeah. But he found variations on it that kind of look the same, but the characters are slightly different, and the dynamics of those characters uh, in the scenes are totally different. And you get hooked after about three or four of them, and you just keep watching and watching and watching. By the time you get to Tokyo Story, which was, I believe, his first like major international success he's perfected his style. Mm-hmm. And you watch it, and it's just so beautifully fluid and quiet and gorgeous, and it, it just knocks you down emotionally. It's just fantastic. Yeah. It belongs in a top 50. I, I would say so, too. I, I think would, it should be higher. I think it should be higher. So. It was actually on my list at number two. Uh, okay. I don't yes. know what the rest of the list is, so so it, I'm yeah. going to say this is the perfect spot for <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I will say that in the, the sight and sound list, which comes out every 10 years, and it's a, a number of critics contribute to it, Tokyo Story has been very consistently in that top 10 mm. yeah. for decades at this point. So, okay, next up, number 47, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That one seems a little recent to me, but at the same time, I'm okay with this. Um, I'm fine with it. It is a film that is remarkably intelligent. There's a lot going on with it. And once again, for people of a certain generation, because I was in college when the film came out, yeah, and a lot of a lot of people, this movie just blew their mind. Yeah. Not merely because of the screenplay, but also the way Michelle Gondry Gondry uh, directs it. Yeah, so much stuff in camera, almost everything in camera, I believe. Yeah, um, I think so. And so it's very ambitious while also being very intimate. And so yes. uh, I did not submit it. I probably wouldn't. Uh, it probably wouldn't be in my top 50 if yeah. I were to submit 50 movies, but I'm perfectly fine with it being on this list. I don't know if list. I would put it up there either, but I do love Charlie Kaufman, and I feel like mm. this might be my favorite Charlie Kaufman thing. I like Synecdoche, New York, and not, but I would Oof, not put so that good. on well, a top 10 list, dark. I don't think. <laughs> Gosh. It's tough, because I do love being John Malkovich. Yeah, I enjoy that, too. Adaptation, come on. They're, they're all... Yeah, but, but yeah they're good. all good. They're all good. I haven't seen Anomalisa. I have not either. 
Uh, it, it's it's among my least favorites. I'll say. I've, hmm. I've heard it's actually not that not that great. Eternal Sunshine does feel a, a little populist because it does seem so recent. But it's mm-hmm. one of those movies that it upon several viewings, it I think you could say this for a lot of these films because they are in the top fifty and they're important ish uh, on certain levels. But it it feels like it gets deeper and deeper inside your own psychology or your own yeah. psyche the yeah. more you see it. Yeah. And it's true, and it's one of these that if you watch it every ten years, not that I have, but if you, it feels like the kind of movie where if you watch it every ten years, it would mean a different kind of thing to you mm, because it's so underneath psychology. Mm. I would also say it is film nerd populist. Princess Bride right. is actually populist. Mm. Good this is. It speaks to just how insulated we are. They were like, eh, is Eternal Sunshine a little populist? <laughs> right. like, <just laughs> suddenly feel gross. Your man on the street might be like, what is that now? <laughs> oh, Jim Carrey. Jim he- Carrey. Is that the one where he talks out of his butt? <laughs> um, okay, moving on. Number 46. This, is a bit of, this was a surprise for me. Number 46, The Master. Surprised it was so low? Surprised it was on here at all. Considering, really? spoilers, mm. There Will Be Blood is not on here. Yeah, I'm surprised Good The Master point. made it. Um the master is only I'd, four years old at this point. That's was a my mistake favorite. on my part. If if there will be blood's not on this list, but the master is, I I don't I disagree with that. You could have changed that. Well, let's at this probably point, not at this point level. <laughs> you probably could have. Well, because I I wouldn't have put either of those films in my top oh, okay. ten. Oh, so I, well, I hate to put too much on the on, on this factoid over and over again, but given our audience and the fact that it is a a Christian podcast and it is a movie as we discussed ourselves. Uh, about that dynamic, the dynamic of someone who has a quote-unquote religion to give and a person who desperately needs it. It speaks to something that, as Christians, we think about a lot. This is, uh, as I was making this list, this is one of the movies that I thought, were this not a Christian show and just a standard movie show, I don't think it gets included. Um, it's a wonderful film. I think it's marvelous. I think it will stand the test of time in the film nerd community. Mm-hmm. And I think it is something of a pivotal film in the career of Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, but I, I wouldn't have included it. But if we were to do this list in 10 years and people included it, I wouldn't, I don't think I would object. I think more than anything, it's just the fact that it's four years old. But yes, it deals with a lot of themes that we talk about on the show. Right. And I think. And it's also wonderfully made. So between those two things, I can understand why it would show up on a top 50 list. Sure. So reason for reasons like this, I'm happy we did this. Number 45, Crimes and Misdemeanors. I'm afraid to comment on this because I'm afraid I'll go on and on and on. I mean, I just love <laughs> talking about Woody Allen. Well, for a, for a while, our longest episode was you and me talking about Woody Allen. Did so someone beat us out? What was that? Who beat us out? Uh, let's see. I bet it was Dark Knight or one of those Nolan movies. Wasn't it's it? been uh, Avengers. It's been beaten out. It might have been Avengers. Yeah. Oh, that was a long one. I remember. Yeah, that one. super long. Um, in any case, yeah. Crimes and Misdemeanors is considered by people who don't even know, ha- haven't even seen a lot of Woody Allen movies, to be his yeah. best Woody Allen. It's my best. second favorite behind Danny Hall. It's so good. Now I will say but, this because I don't think it's a spoiler. There are two Woody Allen movies on here. Total. Neither, neither, Besides this, yes. Okay. There, sorry, no, total. total. Okay. This is one, and then there's another one coming up in a, just a couple of sl- slots. Neither of them are Annie Hall. Mm. That I is bl- strange. I'm pretty mm. sure one person su- submitted Annie Hall at number nine or ten. So Annie Hall got one or two points. Bless his heart, whoever that Whereas, is. Whereas Crimes and Misdemeanors and this other one got a fair number of votes. It's surprising to me. But, if if I may... Considering the themes that Crimes and Misdemeanors mm-hmm. explores compared to Annie Hall, 
Yeah. I think it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I agree I with that. that. You've got one of the first little, I guess it, I almost said speech, but it is a speech that, uh, uh, what's his face gives? What's the main actor? Uh, North by Northwest. Mark Landau. Yeah. Cary Grant in. I know he's not in Christ. He's in North by Northwest. Um, no, uh, his speech at his little gala, like award mm-hmm. ceremony, it, he mentions the eyes of God. He says, "Imagine that I'm an ophthalmologist, and you know I learned about the eyes of God when I was a kid." I mean, the the theme is stated so early in that movie, and it just plays out beautifully in two different ways. I mean, as yeah. a comedy and as a as a drama, mm-hmm. both in, incredibly watchable for different reasons. And the fact that they work together as a single movie is like a miracle of filmmaking. I still, I've seen this movie so many times, and I've thought about it, I've written about it. I still don't know exactly how that works. Hmm. How do you make a comedy and a drama, divide them up the way you just <laughs> chop them up, Cuisinart style, and put them together, and it works? Yeah. I think by having, by having them be unified by theme, that takes care of a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as both of them are exploring that theme in earnest. Um, but uh, we should move on. Next up, number 44, Koyana Scotsy. I think this is the only one on the list that I have not seen. Yeah, I've seen, seen it many same. years ago. I saw um, it many years ago. And it is definitely a, a crazy, amazing, a cremazing experience. <laughs> is it truly cremazing? Mm, I don't know. What is the what's the word you made up that we actually put on a on a shirt? Um you made up Halloween remember. times, but I don't know if that's yeah, what you're but no, this Did you? This... Are you the one? Yeah. There was another one that I don't remember what it was, but I, I remember I put your your big smiling face on a shirt <laughs> <What was> that <laughs> says, you know, I don't remember. But, uh, but yeah, Coin of Scotty is, I mean, I'm surprised that it showed up on, on the list, but I'm also not surprised. It's a film that is, it feels, it's weird to say, it's very ethereal. It's almost revelatory. Um, it's not a standard narrative. No. It can't be called a documentary, except maybe a little bit, sort of. It's hard to explain. It's like Man with the Movie Camera. It's just playing with film and just seeing what you can it's do with it. It's almost like an editing experiment. Yeah. But a very, very, very good one. Yeah. But one that is also, of course, it has the Philip Glass score. Yeah. And so it's just elevated to a level that I'm, I might be reading into it, but I also don't think so. Elevated almost to a level of spiritual. Um, I would say so. You know, for example... When I saw it, it's because my church in Chicago was screening it Hmm. um, as part of a series that they were doing. The next month, they did The Apostle. So the person picking it at my church seemed to think that there was a spiritual element to it. Um, That's cool. And it would appear our listeners did as well. Next up, The 400 Blows. Yeah, there we go. That's a good one. That belongs in any top 50. Sure. I, uh, yeah. Because I went back and forth on kind of what my list would have been, and I think... I may have ended up putting them there. I feel like I would have to put something French New Wave because I really like French New Wave, but also because it's such an important movement in the, in the history of world cinema. Um, and that one, I feel like that one often is the one that gets placed when other ones don't because uh, it was kind of, it was like the first big one, if that makes sense. Uh, I think Breathless was a year before, wasn't it? No, Breathless is uh, is a year or two afterwards. I, think. I was just testing you. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I think Breathless is sixty, and Four Hundred Bills is like fifty eight or fifty nine. Okay. Um, but I think also uh, in in comparison to Breathless, it's uh, Four Hundred Blows is more, I think, universally accessible. 
Probably. And I think, and see, the, I go back and forth. Those are probably the two that I would, yeah. uh, if I was going to put one French New Wave, even though neither of those are my favorite French New Wave <laughs> sure. film, I, I probably would pick one of those two because they're near the beginning. They're two of the biggest filmmakers in that movement, and mm-hmm. they were kind of seminal in a lot of ways. Uh, but I feel like there's a constant compare and contrast between uh, Truffaut and Godard in my head whenever I'm thinking about French New Wave because they were two such such big figures of the movement, mm-hmm. two of the biggest ones. And I always end up liking Truffaut more because I think his films feel a little bit more, that there, there feels like there's a little bit more humanity to them, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, sense. I mean, the, the sort of easy dynamic or description you could say is Godard is, is the head and Truffaut is the heart. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's it's a little bit too black and white, but it's kind of true when you really look at their movies. A little bit. And uh, Godard seems like he's very interested in experimentation, which is definitely something mm-hmm. that in, in influences Truffaut as well. But uh, I think Truffaut is more invested in his characters and how they who they are as people, whereas Godard seems to be like, how can these people either represent an idea exactly. or, or uh, can they be used to create some sort of... Uh, new cinematic artifact. Sure, can they be like my that? puppet to show off what I know about this? <laughs> sort technique? of. Like the idea, even the fact that the 400 Blows is where we first see Antoine Duanel and that Truffaut would go on to make four more films about this character, I can't see Godard ever doing that because I can't see him being interested in a person that much. No, no, no. He'd get bored with his toy <laughs> yeah. and then move on. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. Time to move on. <laughs> we're going to a little spinoff podcast just for you. It's just, you know. You guys talking about French New Wave. It's, gonna, it's fun because. A new yeah, podcast called Ha Ha Ha. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Just called Bread and Cigarettes. <laughs> um, okay. So next up, film that I think is a little bit too low, Double Indemnity. Hmm. Too low, you say? Yes. Hmm. I think uh, Double Indemnity is a top 25 film every day of the week. Uh, I think it's amazing. I'm very happy that it was included. I think it is, I'd say, in the running for best film noir ever. I think between that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. I I say this. uh, Of its, within the realm of of, uh, film noir, you have cops and detectives, and then you have the everyman pulled into something. Mm Mm-hmm. It falls into the latter, and of those, it is the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, Postman Always Rings Twice is another uh, that fits into that. Also, James M. Cain. Um, yeah, Double Indemnity is marvelous. We can move on because we can't talk about everything. Um, All right. Aww. Sorry. Did you have something to say about Double Indemnity? Uh, I was going to real quick say I feel like that's one that falls both into the category where it is technically great and, and the category where it is uh, popular. Yeah. So I feel like uh, films like that. I think should kind of rise to the top, um, which is why I think Casablanca is, is one of my favorites. I think that's both. All right. Are you changing your number one pick? Um, I'm not because, because we already, already but in, in my list that I would have submitted had I done it, uh, Casablanca definitely would have been in the top three, if not number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, the other Woody Allen movie, Manhattan. 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 See, that's funny because uh, I would have, I would have guessed Danny Hall. I will give you one minute. No, no, no. Say whatever you want. Actually, go ahead. Actually, can I take your minute, please? Um, Because I talked way too much. Yield yield the floor. (laughs) No, and the only reason I want to say that because uh, Annie Hall happened to be on my personal top ten. It was uh, three movies were vying it out for number ten. 
the two that did not make that were Apocalypse Now and Annie Hall. Mm. Um, with uh, I'll mention my number ten when it shows up on the list. But um, Annie Hall was so close to being in my top ten. It does surprise me most of the time when I talk to people they prefer Manhattan. When I talk to people who understand film beyond just uh, uh, sort of the populist mainstream idea. They tend to prefer Manhattan, which always surprises me. I think that Annie Hall, because it is a little bit more accessible than Manhattan, I think people tend to to think like, oh, well, Manhattan is better. It's greater because it's exploring something in a heavier way. But I think I think Annie Hall is the is the better well, choice. Well, also at Manhattan, just on paper, like on film, it's like <laughs> it sh- it shows it's Gordon Willis's you know DP real I mean yeah. that, that's what makes it seem better than it is to me mm-hmm. I mean I'm saying this as a Woody Allen fan as a Manhattan fan as an Annie Hall fan um, I think Gordon Willis for the space of like what six or seven movies from starting with whatever it was through Annie Hall through Manhattan through Broadway Danny Rose uh, elevated Woody Allen's material to the level of an art that would not have been there otherwise mm-hmm. um, again saying that as a Woody Allen fan and Manhattan is just a great example of that it's like art is he? I mean, he is exploring themes on a deeper level than Annie Hall, but is he exploring it uh, in a deeper way than, say, uh, Shadows and Fog? No, mm-hmm. he's not. Where is Shadows and Fog on this list? Is nowhere. Um, and I, I, I think it's because Gordon Willis is such a brilliant DP that that gets mentioned so much. Mm-hmm. Um, we will move on. Number forty. Wait. So my opinion stands. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we'll defer because I'm probably yeah. wrong. Um, <laughs> I will say I think Ann, I like Annie Hall more than Manhattan, but Annie Hall I think is still my fourth or fifth favorite Woody Allen, um, behind Cassandra's Dream, right? <laughs> Scoop, uh, Scoop. I like uh, these Curse movies. The Jade Come Scorpion. On. Well, um, okay, but uh, no, probably I don't remember. I don't know what number one one would be either Hannah and her sisters or Crimes and Misdemeanors. I like both of them. Quite I have to say, I'm sorry to ex- extend this more, but. Again, going back to the audience, it seems strange that Manhattan of all Woody Allen movies would be selected, given that. that it's Woody Allen A, and he is so tarred and feathered now. No. And not only that, but in the movie, he's dating a 16-year-old. Oh, I know. Yeah. So is it because he doesn't get the girl in the end? Maybe. Spoilers. Even though he really wants... <laughs> doesn't get her in any hall either. That's true. I guess he never gets a girl. It could also be seen in the, along those lines... That Manhattan, in retrospect, we look at it as a glimpse into Woody, Allen, a deeper glimpse into Woody Allen than any of us thought, than anybody thought at the time. But now we see, oh, th- this turns out to be a much more personal work than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people might put more thematic and emotional. Weight but still, that makes it more repulsive. It. I would think it would. Oh, sure, like, it would run away from this list before. Yeah. It would- yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, any listener that submitted uh, Manhattan, feel free in the comment section to say why you chose yeah. that over Annie Hall. I'd love to hear. Number 40. Top 40. Top 40. <laughs> uh, on the Waterfront. Okay. Perfectly fine mm. movie. I'm happy yes. to move on. <laughs> Great <laughs> performance. I feel, some, somebody in there is like, that's my favorite movie. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna talk I am sorry if you submitted these. Uh, we just can't talk about all of them because we're already 42 minutes in. Oh, my And goodness. we're at number 40. <laughs> and we're going to talk about each of the top 10. So okay. let's move on. Number 39, the second Billy Wilder film to show up here, The Apartment which is pretty great. Yeah, I, I, I need it. to rewatch. I can't speak definitively on that film, although I know it is a good one. It's pretty solid. Yeah, I love it. Can I say one thing about The Apartment yes. that, that bugs me about it? Okay. Um, and this is not me saying that why it shouldn't be on the list, 
but it, you know, it starts off. It's fairly, it's it's fairly much a comedy mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. way Jack Lemmon behaves. I mean, he's just the way he responds to everything. It's a comedy. It's a very well shot uh, comedy. It's 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 sort of like shot like a real movie, but it's full of comic characters. If you remember, and even the music mm-hmm. is very comic music. And then that thing happens at the halfway yeah. point with uh, Shirley MacLaine, mm-hmm. and it becomes a drama. But Jack Lemmon is still a comedy character, and everyone else around her is still a comedy character, and it feels weird. And I don't quite understand why the movie is the way it is. <laughs> I need someone to explain why he chose that. And, and it, it bugs me because I want to enjoy it the way it was set up for the first hour to the end. And that's not to say that a, a comedy that's built like a comedy and looks and smells like a comedy, walks like a comedy, can't also have serious themes. I like Woody Allen, mm-hmm. you know. But um, that movie, particularly because of what happens, because of what she does, the halfway point and all that that implies about life and you know tragedy and um self-hatred and all. it's just a very dark and deep movie at that point but it's still a comedy and just it's weird I, there's, there's, I, the mix feels weird to me i actually feel that uh, the jack lemon character he is funny but i don't view him as an inherently comedic character he he has some funny mannerisms he says funny things and there's an awkwardness to him but I think there's also a tremendous sadness often when he is being at his most funny. And so him continuing to be a funny character does not seem inconsistent with the shift in tone. Hmm. Um, and I also don't think Fred McMurray is is a funny character in the film. And so when you look at those three as the, the most important characters, I feel like there's a consistency. Those side characters um, are straight up out of a you know comedy. Sure, sure. Absolutely. But I'm OK with that. And um, moving on. OK, so here we go. One of two Coen Brothers movies to show up on here. Uh, no Country for Old Men. Brilliant. Okay. It's a wonderful film. Um, mm-hmm. And did, is anybody surprised that it showed up on nope. here? It no. is not. It's nine years old me now. Too much. No. And, and I feel like that is one that's going to stand the test of time. And yeah. uh, that it's such a great adaptation too. Mm-hmm. Besides yes. just being a good film, it is a. It so captures the tone of the the themes and the and the even the text of the novel that I, I feel like that also makes it stand out especially because the cones don't do a whole lot of adaptations right I think uh, in in as time goes by um, we already mentioned the about the Big Lebowski I think that uh, the number one for Coen Brothers will probably inarguably be Fargo for forever mm-hmm. um, but I think number two and three will probably be duking it out between Big Lebowski and No Country for Old Men what it's people good. think are the second best Coen Brothers depending movie. on whether you're a comedy fan or a drama <laughs> fan exactly <laughs> exactly with my uh, at this point I think No Country has been bumped to number three because Inside Lewin Davis ah, is so right. wonderful oh, for me which I still need to revisit that oh, one. Oh boy <laughs> uh, okay so next up Persona. Ooh. Yes, I looked right at you. I'm surprised that that even made the list. I am too. Odd, right? Yeah. Because that's... Listeners, I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly not an accessible film. Like, when I'm suggesting Bergman films for people, I'm usually like, that's like four or five in You Get to Persona. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because there's so many other ones that are a little bit easier to deal with. And that one, there's a lot of... There's a lot going on in that film, and a lot of it's not on the surface. And even that uh, that opening may totally throw some people. Yeah. Um, but it is a film that I really love. I, th- I feel like it's great uh, personal filmmaking. I like the themes and when, the way it deals with identity. I think is fascinating. Um, I do remember when you first described it to me uh, thematically. Uh, 
<laughs> you said it explores the theme. You said it explores the theme of identity. I said, well, in what way? And you said, well, it says, you know, why am I me and not you? And my fir- and I literally just went, Ugh. <laughs> I, I don't have the energy because you are. I don't have the energy for this. Um, but yeah, but it's a mar- it's a marvelous film. And one, I'll say this: one that is surprisingly erotic, mm, uh, oh yeah. and and has a lot of sexual content in it. Uh, some to the point of. The, the sexual content is is dialogue it's yeah. just people talking and, and recounting stories and stuff and yet uh it is it seems so much more forward and open than yeah. movies that have full frontal nudity and that kind of thing yeah um which i think in doing so i think it acknowledges that sexuality is just as much an emotional experience as a physical one um okay but we will move on Number 36, the third and final Billy Wilder contribution, which is Sunset Boulevard. Okay. Wow. Wonderful film. If, it, if there's going to be a, a Wilder yeah. one at the top, that's probably the one. I agree. I think, that's, I think that is definitely his best. I would be happy if it were higher, but that's okay. Yeah, I think I might be happy if it's higher too, but I, I do love Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Number 35, a film I have not seen, actually, which is Akiru. Oh, Akiru. Um, not Akira. This is Akiru. <laughs> right. <laughs> Akiru was uh, my number three. Yes. It was really? On my list. Mm-hmm. It was. It's a Kurosawa film, and uh, it it's funny because I, I saw it a long time ago, and then I've seen Ozu since then, and, and a lot of Ozu, and so I hadn't thought about Akiru in a long time, and then I was thinking about it in the context of this list, of my own list, I was like, that's fascinating. It's like, it's almost like if if uh, Kurosawa took an Ozu premise and made made it it totally is because most of his films are a lot more uh bombastic or exciting and that sort of thing so well there's most popular ones i mean there are a lot of sort of like deep cuts if you want to call them that 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 are about family and and that sort of thing but when you think of kurosawa you think of uh like you think of tashiro mifuni like chopping something in half and (laughs) you think of like throne of blood and it's like you know crazy expressions on faces and whatnot Mm -hmm. um as opposed to what this movie is which is about an old man who works in a bureaucratic like cubicle type job uh, finds out he's uh, dying of cancer and has two years to live and what is he going to do so he almost like like solomon he's like trying to figure out what what to do with his time to make some kind of meaning he can't find it anywhere finally he says you know what i'm just gonna if i can leave anything beautiful behind i will and he discovers through his office through where he works that there's a like a like a little cesspool on the edge of town He's going to make it into a playground for the kids. And so the movie is, uh, the first half of the movie, or I guess the middle part of the movie, is about him doing that. And then he dies halfway through, or two-thirds of the way through. And the rest of it is about like his friends at the wake hmm. talking about how good this person was because of what he did despite his place in life. Mm-hmm. And even that doesn't really give it justice. Because when you're watching the movie, the actor playing this man is just so small mm-hmm. and withered and can do nothing to make an impression on anybody in the world. It seems, and yet he does. It seems almost like a Vittorio De Sica film. Like it, it, oh, yeah, it seems see like, uh, you know, Bicycle Thieves and uh, Bird Bird to Bird to or something. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that sounds very And it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. It's nothing beautiful about movie. that seems like Kurosawa to me. No, 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 not that, at all. That makes it all the more interesting. I, I recommend it highly. It's just a beautiful movie. Next up, To Kill a Mockingbird. This is the first 
on the list that was in my top 10 the, okay. to make it on there. I had ranked it at number eight in my list. Um, and yeah, it's a film that I love. What you said earlier about No Country for Old Men, I would say the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's not only a great film, but it's a great adaptation. Yeah. It gets to the heart of the book and reflects that heart accurately, even where it changes certain um, smaller narrative plot beats. Um, but uh, But yeah, I mean, I think it stands the test of time. Yeah. I think it's a great film. I think that would have been on my list as well. It's one that I really love a lot. Okay. Number 33, a movie that I am super thrilled is on this list. Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Um, <laughs> it's, it's never hard to know because one is the producer, but for a long time they were just considered Powell and Pressburger like they were just together. The but anyway, uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, which is a film that I think everybody needs Great to see film. even though they don't know it. Um, yeah. I think it is uh, Powell's best film. Hmm. Um, although I do, I'm a... I'm a big fan. It's weird to say it. I'm a big fan of Peeping Tom. I think that's a brilliant <laughs> film. Boy, that's a rough um, one. It's very rough, and it did destroy his career. But uh, <laughs> you know what? Hooray! It's worth it. It's worth it it's for me. Um, but Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it. It is, uh, I'm going to say, an astonishing film. So mm. listeners, if you haven't seen it, make it a priority. It's a comedy. It's a comedy yeah. with sort some of heavy melodrama in there yes. as well. Uh, moving on. Number 32, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Mm-hmm. What do you say? I mean, it's... Yeah, it's Rear Window. It's a perfect it's, movie. It's uh, pretty much perfect. It's a pretty good one. Uh, mo- okay, here we go. <laughs> it's so weird to get Again, Alfred Hitchcock two like, seconds. It feels, right. it feels wrong, but, you know... We've totally got, wrong. Hey, you know what? If it was in the top ten, we'd talk a lot about it. <laughs> so, here we go. So next time, everyone. <laughs> Number 31, a film I had not heard of. A film I had not seen, certainly. Wow. A film that I was hoping wouldn't be on the list because now I have to talk about it. But enough people submitted it hmm. at, high, at a high enough. I found myself wondering, maybe it's like one family that <laughs> loved this movie. And so they they all submitted it. They gamed and it. And they're all big fans of More Than One Lesson somehow. Uh, the film is called Whisper of the Heart. Oh, that's right. You mentioned this one to me. Yeah. This actually I have not seen either, so I was incorrect. I yeah. think that's the joke you and I made. There, there's yeah. this it's one Miyazaki, big family. Right? Yeah. He did not direct it, but it is it it's is from Studio Ghibli, yeah. right? But yeah. it's not. Yes, yeah, I, I'd never heard of it either, and I, I'm ashamed to say that, but I feel like I can say that. I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. But now that you've both said it. Yeah. We're four for four. I've oh, never wow. heard of this film. That's amazing. Nothing. We, need a, we need a guest to come in. and. So when I saw one person submit this... I think it was uh, there like one, two, or three. I don't remember. I thought, huh, I don't know what that movie is. That's interesting. Noted. Then like two other people, and this at this level, when you're when you're ranking it this high, three people submitting it in their top, yeah, two or three is enough to get it this high on the list. It beat out. It just beat out Rear Window. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's right. crazy to me. So, listeners that submitted Whisper of the Heart in the what comments is this section, movie? <laughs> explain what it is and why you submitted it. I'm not I'm not saying uh, you're wrong. I will say no, uh, there's no Spirited Away on here uh, yeah. or Grave of the Fireflies or any of these other things. I'm not saying uh, I've seen those. I have seen, like I have seen those. I haven't seen this other one. This other one might be amazing. I read the description. I don't remember it now, but I read the description. It sounded really good. Sure. I'm just astonished that it it's is a fluke. Here. That is a true fluke. That is yes. Interesting. But probably worthy. Let's just go ahead and say that. 
I'm sure, sure that it's worth it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. sure. That's the official more than, one, more than One Lesson stamp. Whisper of the Heart, probably worthy. <laughs> uh, next up, number 30, The Graduate. Hey. I okay. looked at Josh because he loves it so much. I do ah. love that movie. And I watched it again recently because there's a new Criterion Blu-ray of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should get it because it's got some cool stuff on there. But um, yeah, I, I feel like that's one that definitely should be high on lists like this because not only uh, is it just... I, I think it's a technical achievement. Uh, I think I love the way it uses music and a lot of great performances. But beyond that, there's something about the whole tone of it that to me seems to be uh, kind of iconic of a shift in tone in American film that happened in the 60s. True. I feel like there's sort of, and I, I don't think it's like once that movie happened, everyone changed the way they stopped making movies. But I think that movie being as big as it was made a lot of filmmakers start to think, of things differently and I think was a, probably a big influence on a lot of the big uh, heavy hitters of the 70s mm-hmm. like a Scorsese or a, a Hal Ashby or so on and so forth or George Lucas obviously <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, that, uh, no it is it is a great film and I, I battle with myself about it like do I cons- and it's obviously considered by many people who know to be a great movie but do I consider a great movie and I, I saw it fairly recently maybe in the last couple of three years mm-hmm. And I was still fighting with myself while I was watching it. I'd seen it like five, six times already. And I'm like, why, why am I fighting about this movie? It's clearly great. Is it just because I'd like to kick Dustin Hoffman's character in the shins and just say, wake up and like, you know, just live, don't, don't mope? Or maybe, maybe Simon and Garfunkel kind of bring me down too much? I don't really know. But, but there is something that it's saying that is, it feels elusive um, until you get to that last shot mm-hmm. and then you know what it is and it's like oh nobody gets out of this unscathed nobody yeah. Yeah. nobody there's a there's a kind of happiness that we all assume we'll get mm-hmm. that you won't get and yeah. when you kind of let that wrap around you at the end of this what is a sophisticated comedy mm-hmm. you know sex comedy romantic comedy whatever it is whatever you want to call it that's kind of what it's saying ultimately and it makes you it makes you down it just makes you like <laughs> feel like crap but at the same time, you recognize somebody said this. Somebody should have said this, mm-hmm. especially then. Yeah, um, it's the you know free love and all this kind of stuff. You know, was going on at the time. I think that's that's the issue for me uh, in in a good way. Is that you know you said that uh, you know nobody nobody ends up like this. Nobody winds up happy like this. With the addendum, well, nobody winds up happy like this without any uh, with no effort. You know, Benjamin Braddock just kind of falls into situations yeah. and they work for him for a while. And so let's do it. And so he does put forth a little bit of effort, well, a lot of effort there at the end and sure. good for him. But as is the case with a lot of movies that have a happy ending, you, some would say like, OK, we had we had our climax. We had our big moment of effort. And now everything is going to be smooth sailing from yep. here on. And I think that last moment is a number of things. It's. There's an element of what have I done and what it, where is this going to go? But I think it's also, whether he realizes it or not, it's, oh, yeah, you actually have to continue the happy ending yeah. because mm. it actually is not an ending. It's just a continuation of your yeah. life. These big dramatic gestures are all well and good and you need them from time to time. This whole movie has been your backstory. Now you got to live yeah. the movie. Exactly. Yeah. And watching it again recently, I really was hit by the... Uh, the sort of contrast that it's making between, uh, that, that's the wrong way of putting it, but the juxtaposition of 
what the adult characters are and what the, the quote unquote child characters are and how there is almost an inevitable sense that the, ch- the children will have to kind of become what the adults are, mm. which is something that I didn't get so much in previous viewings in it, but I got a lot out of that this last time. All right. So we're going to need to, we're about an hour in, we're going to need to speed this up. So we're going to have to rush through some. There are a handful that I definitely do want to touch on. The next one is network. It's a wonderful film. I absolutely love it. We can move on. If that, if that's okay. No, yeah. You're the host. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I am. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> okay. This next one, however, requires a preface. This next movie is one of the reasons I did this at all. Uh, <laughs> the uh, other podcasts, one could say lesser podcasts, but that would be rude. Um, and yet one just and did. And yet somehow <laughs> I still found a way. Um, no, it just... This, goes, this speaks to the Princess Bride thing. Mm-hmm. There are movies that are considered mo- modern classics, and they are, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I have... I was... There was another podcast. I won't even say what it was, but uh, I was on their Facebook group, and I threw out... What's your favorite movie? And you got a lot of a lot of populist answers, and none of them were bad. N- nobody threw out a bad movie. Nobody threw out you know Happy Gilmore or something like that. Um, they were all good movies, but you got a lot of Princess Bride in there, and you got a lot of Number Twenty Six, The Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with The Shawshank Redemption. It is quite possibly perfect for the kind of movie that it is. Um, I have no problem with it being on the list. And yet somehow it just doesn't, it, do, it feels like it's not challenging. Not that a movie needs to be, but it's just, it's there. It's comforting. I watch it and I just think that's a, that's a really good movie. Well, on with my life, but you could do a lot worse than that. Mm-hmm. So that, so it was actually people saying Princess Bride and Shawshank Redemption being their favorite movies of all time. And I won't begrudge anybody that. But it was actually that that... uh, You wanted to see where it would fall on the list? I wanted to see where it would fall on this list. Well, and I will say, because it was my number 10. Yep. I Ah, submitted it as number 10. You are part of the Mm -hmm. problem, (laughs) Reed. Exactly. (laughs) But here's the thing, and this is the one that I was referring to earlier when I said I would make a populist argument for it. It's like if we are are including, because I debated a lot, and I know uh, I'll keep this brief, but um, I debated a lot about what would we consider the list. And I think even I told you when I submitted the email, I pretended I had never seen a best list ever, period. Mm. So just based on what I know in my conversations, in my circles, I had never been to film school. What do I consider the best movies to be? And I think if you're looking at that, there are certain factors where you have to take into account popularity, accessibility, general uh, feelings, and also just and direct rewatchability. rewatchability. Everyone I know, I'm not a huge fan of it, and I own it, and I've seen it at least five times. Well, yeah, and as somebody that I got into a recent conversation with about it said, oh, I'm perfectly happy with its place on repeat cable, and I was like, that's exactly it, repeat cable. The reason <laughs> that they keep showing it so many times, and that's you know whether you consider that idea to be derisive or not, there's a reason why it's constantly showing, because probably when it's on and people are flipping through, they'll stop, and they'll yeah. at least watch part yeah. of it, or maybe not. Roger Ebert said of it that every single time he starts to watch it, even if he only intends to watch a scene, he gets sucked into the entire movie. Yeah. 
yeah. he called it a great movie. <laughs> and I do think that there that there can be an argument to be made about um, why like why are we including this film, which as you said, it doesn't really push the envelope of film forward in almost any way. Um, it's just a very well executed story. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been interesting to see that because in '94 nobody cared. In ninety yeah. in ninety four, everybody That's was talking point. about Forrest Gump and, and Pulp Fiction and right. all these other things. But then, about ten years later, suddenly it's number one on IMDb's list. Still yeah. is over Godfather and all these other things. So then, and now what I see is I see the pendulum swinging back the other direction, where now people are like, "Well, wait a minute, it's not that good," and blah blah, <laughs> you know, all this other. It's yeah. just interesting to watch this film go through this sort of you know back and forth and i think ultimately for me the reason i included it on the list and the reason i would argue with anybody about like why would you take it off of a list is because of how rewatchable and accessible it is to such a wide range of people why wouldn't we consider some a film like that to be one of the best yeah i don't mean to imply that uh because if somebody if because i i ran across this a lot in film school whatever movie people liked other pe- pe- my my fellow students would rebel against it just based on that mm. yeah. and they would mm. say the movie's overrated Shawshank is not necessarily overrated no. it mm. is a great movie in a lot of ways mm. do I think it's the best movie of all time uh, that's a hard no from me <laughs> right um, but I'm okay with it being on this list. Had it, I'll say this: had it cracked the top ten, I probably wouldn't have been thrilled, but I also wouldn't have been surprised. It's it's gonna be around. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll say also, uh, you know, nobody cared about Shawshank Redemption at the time. Hats off to the Academy for nominating it True. for a picture yeah. and and uh, actor and various other things. Um, so it is. So I feel bad disparaging the movie and disparaging anybody that submitted it. There's nothing wrong with submitting this film and loving this film. It's more just the the uh the assumption of it just being well obviously it's obviously Shawshank Redemption like just people would throw it out there hmm. with an obviously and they wouldn't be dismissive of other movies but they just put it out there and I just thought like yeah I guess this is what it sort of like uh David over Battleship Pretension he's the same way with Back to the Future hmm. um I I can't make any arguments against Back to the Future and neither can he really and yet somehow when people just throw it out so quickly and casually, there's just something that's like, okay, well, why? Why are we? Why is this the the film? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's worth. It is interesting that it just it just didn't make the the uh, top twenty the top twenty five. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I apologize if anybody feels insulted. Uh, I didn't want to make I, this list was not to be made against the people that uh, submitted Shawshank Redemption because clearly enough people that listen to this show enjoy it and think it's great. And one co-host. And they're not wrong. And one (laughs) co-host. 104. But what number was it? It was 10th. It was 10th. And it was duking it out with Annie Hall and uh, Apocalypse Now. Which, here's the thing, is I would object, I know we need to move on, I would objectively consider Annie Hall and Apocalypse Now to be better movies. But, again, if I, I know that because of what I know about film school. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I didn't attend it, what I've seen on best of lists, I'm like, well, here's the thing. Apocalypse Now and Annie Hall are really great movies. And I don't think I would argue with anybody that they're better movies than Shawshank Redemption. But they're not as, for me, not as 
rewatchable. They're not a, necessarily as accessible. Annie Hall probably is, which is why they were all duking it out for that number mm-hmm. 10 spot. But um, but I think that you could just make a case for popular opinion sort of swaying something in one, in one particular direction, which is why I ultimately went with it. But, all right. We need to move on. Number 26. Well said. Uh, Josh, you made reference 26? to it earlier. What was it? It's 26? Well, 28 was Shawshank oh, sorry. Redemption. I'm sorry, 27. Pardon me. Uh, 27 is... Uh, Rashomon, which mm. for a while was it was very high. Early on, a lot of people submitted it. I oh, really cool. thought it was going to be a top ten mm. uh, to to the extent that actually one of our writers wrote something for it, Ooh. and then it just got dropped out of the top, <laughs> oh, no. top twenty five. Was that you, Josh? Um, it wasn't me. I think it was Jim, but I don't recall. Anyway, sorry, Jim. Sorry, Jim. Uh, number twenty six. Uh, you referenced uh, this earlier. Is uh, the Seventh Seal? Oh, okay. That one also, along with Rashomon. Got submitted early and often, and yeah. then it just slow, and then it just tailed off for whatever reason. I, I think that's one that belongs on lists like this for sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's my favorite Bergman. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's the first one I ever saw, and it was mm-hmm. the one that made me want to see more of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's more accessible than Persona for sure. Uh, it's weird to call the Seventh Seal accessible at all. I know <laughs> it is, but it's weird when you know what it's about. It, well, you know, right. and the funny thing is, when I first watched it, I I was in college, but I was maybe like a sophomore in college. I was young, and I watched it with a friend of mine who I don't think had ever seen a foreign film, and we both came away going, "That was really good." And I, so, huh. for me to see someone else who generally wouldn't necessarily enjoy that sort of thing like <laughs> my poor friends, I'm like, "Hey, want to watch a black and white Swedish movie from 1957?" <laughs> um, but uh, but the fact that it still was able to really appeal to something in him and really say something uh, means something. So, yeah, I think you're right that weirdly it is accessible. And um, I like movies that deal with big questions. And I feel like this is one that does it in a really in a really strong way and in a very humble way, too. In a funny way. Yeah. yeah. It's a funny movie. Yeah. And I think that that funniness is fed by the fact that the, the death character has been so copied. Mm-hmm. Um, co-opted, if you will, yeah. into popular culture as that's what death looks like. It's like the, the black with the white face. And, <laughs> yeah. And, to this uh, day, I still have not seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You should. No, no, I've heard, heard that. It's you, funny. We should all watch it together. Let's do it right now. <laughs> hey, guys, <laughs> pause. Pause. <laughs> okay. Well, that was fun. Uh, okay. So, uh, number 25. Ooh. The uh, aforementioned Pulp Fiction uh, the second yeah. film in the last few slots to lose Best Picture to Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction, great, fun, it's great. It's gonna Visceral. it's gonna show up on these Gut lists punch. forever. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's great. It's a great movie. What's interesting, and this is something Josh and I have talked about, and this is this is all I'll say about it, is that like the Coen Brothers with Fargo, Pulp Fiction will always be assumed to be Tarantino's best film. I personally think that Inglorious Bastards gives it a run for its money. I, I think Inglorious Bastards is a better film, hmm. but there's something about like the kind of angry young man quality that mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction has that I think makes it <laughs> will make it forever appeal to college students uh, and young film students. And I think th- that like I remember what I was saying earlier, but some other film of oh, The Graduate I was saying I, I feel like. That's probably as influential to filmmakers of the late 90s and early 2000s as graduate was oh, sure. to filmmakers of the 70s. So I, I can't begrudge it. You can't get away from the influence, frankly. Yeah. I will also say that Reservoir Dogs, the appeal stays 
with the teenagers and, and college students. Mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, as I've gotten older, that last monologue about being the shepherd mm-hmm. and how Samuel L. Jackson plays it, there is so much there and there's so much depth. Uh, there's so much thematically going on that everything that came before, the the, the ultraviolence and all this kind of stuff, the, the comedy, the goofiness, um, it leads up to this and that moment causes me to think back on everything that came before. So I think the I think the film is definitely people can people can probably still look at it that way. They are wrong, um, because there's so much more to the film than just oh, these hitmen are you know oh I blew Marvin's head off or whatever. It's it's so much more than that. Um, but we can move on. Number twenty four, one of two silent films to be on this list. Uh, the General, Buster Keaton film. No, I want to guess what the other one is. Oh, boy. I'm going to say it's either a Charlie Chaplin film or it's uh, Metropolis. I'm going to say it's one of those two. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, just keep, we'll keep moving. Uh, number 23, Psycho. I love it so much. Oh, that's, yeah. I, I wish I had a whole nother, whole nother uh, show to talk about Psycho. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's all right. I did, I did anything that I would say on this show, I happen to write the blurb for Psycho. Anything that I would say, listeners can just go and read that blurb. That's, that's kind of what I would have to say about Psycho. My, it's funny, my, uh, my go-to shot in Psycho, it changes. For some reason, lately, the, the, thing I, the shot I think of when I think of Psycho is the shot when... Uh, the uh, the detective comes by and he's like looking at the names mm-hmm. in the in the in the book register register yeah and uh, and it cuts to Norman and he leans over and the camera just stays under his chin mm-hmm. and that awkward pose <laughs> and the awkward camera pose oh yeah shot it just it it says so much about like what's going on there just that weirdness but it it it's like I think of Tarantino. Or you know, it's it's Hitchcock. He's like already an old man by this, but mm-hmm. by the time he makes his yeah. movie, yeah. but he's doing things that it's like I'm just gonna do this. Yeah, I don't have to do what other people are doing. I right. can put the camera right under the guy's chin, and people are gonna like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it works. He'd been making movies for like almost forty years at that point. Yeah. yeah. Oh like, yeah. That's oh, yeah. insane. And he was still it, experimenting and yeah. doing, adding to what he had already perfected. Because there are, I feel like I almost get depressed sometimes seeing that there are so many filmmakers that they have like a period where they were really good. Yeah. And then they'll make some maybe solid stuff after that. But there's maybe a five to 10 year period where they're great. And Hitchcock has great films throughout his, his, uh, the century. Yeah. Which is yeah, amazing. Practically. Well, and I, I will say perhaps as a final note that like uh, because Hitchcock. This is something to say about Psycho. Psycho at the time was a tremendous departure for Hitchcock. Yeah. It was a huge departure totally. for him. And it is so effective that he is now known for horror films. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And and it's <laughs> it's just interesting because it's so unlike so many of his other movies, yeah. but came to kind of define him. Yeah, I'm taking a Hitchcock class right now and just just two weeks in and watching the movies that I've been watching, you do come to realize how much of an outlier uh, psycho it. Yeah. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's all espionage. It's all thriller. This, it is a thriller, but it's such a different kind of thriller yeah, yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. Brand new. Um, okay, we'll move on. Josh, I will put your mind at ease as far as what this <laughs> other silent film is. You are incorrect. Aww. There is actually no Chaplin on this list, which surprises which is me. very surprising. Nor is it Metropolis. It is, in fact, The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is... All right. A, and by the way, Passion Joan of Arc was in the top ten for a while. Mm. Um, 
Given our listeners, I'm not surprised. I, I'm right. not, yeah, I, I, I can kind of see that, too. Um, I think it's a very effective film. I also think it's, it's when you watch it, it's so unlike so many other movies of the period. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you got a lot of really visual, marvel, visually marvelous films, like some really expressionistic films. But this one, like with its use of close up and with just its use of emotional expression, like I hadn't really seen anything like that before. Right. Um, I only saw it fairly recently, like a, a year or two ago, and it still has left an impression on me. Josh, it sounds like you don't care for the film very much. Um, How dare you? I think I just don't respond to it as much. Not even a little? Uh, maybe a little. <laughs> for a few minutes? <laughs> it is kind of the same thing for however long the movie is, an hour and a half, hour. Yeah. And it's it, it hits that note, which is a very disturbing note. Mm-hmm. It's a weird mix of things. As Daryl, mm-hmm. in his write-up, which is a fantastic write-up, mentions it's like this weird ethereal otherworldly like it's like some other culture from space is like watching this happen and that's how you're looking at it too and it's bizarre mm-hmm. um but man is it effective that yeah. that note yeah and it gets you it just gets you and i think the fact that you, you the know ground. what's going to happen it's not like it's going to throw you a twist or anything <laughs> like, but the fact she's that gonna you make know, it out of there <laughs> i think the reason that, that note can be sustained is because you know where it's headed and you know yeah. that it's something terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything leading up to that is sort of anticipating that and playing that note. And it, for me, does not it does not flatline uh, tonally or emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on. Number 21. It's a Wonderful Life. I'll simply say that I wished it was higher. But it's, well, it's my second favorite movie of all time. And I put it second mm-hmm. on my list when I submitted it. But I, I mean, as far as its inclusion on the list and everything, it's great. Uh, so much has been said about it already, but yeah. it has. But, I'm uh, I'm fascinated as or many because I've read this in many places, but I'm fascinated by the fact that this movie is like the go-to Christmas movie. I mean, yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. Christmas time, obviously, and he learns a valuable lesson. But it's so dark for most of the movie. Yeah, it's oh, this it poor is, yeah. guy getting kicked around by life, and then he wants to kill himself, and this, and he does. Yeah, he does. He gets saved, but he yeah. he does kill himself. He, you know, he jumps off the bridge. Um. Or is that how it happens? No, Clarence jumps in. Yeah. And then, got it. <laughs> Nevertheless. Yeah, to save him. It's dark. And it's just surprising that like all of America sits around their TV at Christmas time to watch this man try to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's... Maybe he's going to do it this year. And we don't... Again, we, don't, we did a whole episode about It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that like at the same time, there is a, there is a history of uh, dark and macabre Stories being told at Christmas time. A Christmas Carol is scary. Ghost right. stories. A Christmas Carol yeah, is a ghost story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a scary one. Um, okay, moving on. Number twenty. This surprises me. The placement here. Number twenty. The Godfather. That surprised, surprised me. me too. That seems really low. Like I, I'll, I'll uh, admit. You're in shock. I looked at your list a little bit because you had the list of the ones. Oh, you thought this been. was the top. I thought Godfather might be number one, and I was going to predict that as my number one, but I was like, there's there, there's there five movie crossover between these lists, so I better check and make yeah. sure none of those. Oh, and sure enough, The Godfather. Well, these are, these are I know. It already. is at the top if if you're only counting to 20. 50, 50 to 20. <laughs> That's true. In our top uh, 50 to 20 list, Godfather is number one. It is surprising that it's that low. I'm, I'm very surprised. Um, Isn't it like usually like in the top three? regularly yes yes and that means at least in american films. we'll we'll get to this but that means the uh sequel is higher which that's i correct. i i think that's a great movie but i'm i'm not i don't agree with that we'll talk uh, about that yeah we'll i've got some that. stuff i'm with you josh okay. but with 
I guess we'll get the Godfather part two and we'll talk about both. We'll hit two for one and we won't say much about the Godfather now. Number 19, Jaws. Ooh, oh, good for wow. you. Nothing wrong with that. See, oh, uh, by the way, we're now into We the... are now into the place where uh, nobody except me knows the order. Yeah. We're all Josh now. <laughs> <laughs> You're all me now. Uh, now, for you, do you feel like that should be higher on the list? I know that's one I'm of okay your... I'm okay Josh, with Jaws being um, a top 20. I guess I can... I guess I... Yeah. Honestly, I... I... It's my third favorite movie of all time, uh, but I didn't submit it. I submitted it at seven. Okay. I, I, I can't look at this list that of what's left over fast enough to know if this it's the it's got to be the most populist movie at this level right probably i guess we'll, we'll know but it's just it's 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 got to be on this list because it's such a perfectly made movie not because it moves people to think about life or like akira yeah. Or, yeah. well i mean it moves me to think about henry gibson's play the enemy an enemy of the people but uh and just the idea of if you're right you need to stand up for what you know to be right as opposed to buckling to popular opinion and the opinion of the powerful and that sort of thing. Uh, Brody, wow. uh, Brody, yeah, there's a lot going on in Jaws. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it for many years. Yes, and I've seen it more than I thought you were book. joking at first. I'm like, ah, oh, you're serious. <laughs> no, if you read the Henrik Ibsen play An Enemy of the People, okay. oh, yeah. it is so much uh, like Jaws. It's pr- practically source which, material. There is a giant shark in it as well. <laughs> wow. so, that's the enemy. But that's actually, oddly enough, that's just like a supporting character. It's that's not the issue. <laughs> the working title the for Enemy opening. of the People was "We're going to need a bigger boat." Oh, <laughs> Bruce isn't working Roy today. Scheider, see, he knew by improvising that line he could uh, make a connection. Okay, next up, <laughs> number film, eighteen, Fargo. Hmm. So right. I think I'm okay with that. I, I that's my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I think it's their best one. I, I waffle back and forth and thinking, have there been too many movies throughout the history of time for this to be that high? But uh, but it is a genuinely great movie. I think it's one of the greatest of the '90s, like of that decade. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I can I can see it being a top twenty film. Yeah, I'm with Josh. Number I'm seventeen, Robert. I am sorry, Magnolia. Oh, oh wow. wow, you were sixteen off. Um, I'm not saying that I wish that it was one. I was just assuming or thinking. I forgot that that was your pick, and for a second I was like, "Oh, does Robert hate Magnolia? This will be interesting." <laughs> Dogpile, Robert. No, Magnolia is, is a Dog- marvelous Magnolia. film. I'm not at all surprised that our listeners. Uh, really responded to it just because of the themes that it explores. I like, think it's my favorite, Paul Thomas Anderson. Although I think it might be my favorite too. I I love uh, uh, all of them. Inherent Vice. I love Inherent Vice. <laughs> I, I really I do. I didn't like that one, but uh, I love the blood. one about the oil. Yeah. <laughs> there will be blood. Why can I think of that? Um, but I think Magnolia is, is Magnolia is more. It's certainly not as bleak, right? And I like it because it's sort of like it's his it's his pulp fiction. Yeah, it is a little bit, yeah. and it has that. I'm just going to throw everything in here. Maybe I'll never make another movie again. Mm-hmm. All of my ideas are going to be in this one movie. I'm going to have to pack it with all these characters and somehow make it make it so that they can interact some way yeah. and get my themes out. But he gets it out so perfectly, yeah. Anyway, that he, you know, got to make more, yeah. Um, and yeah, he still had more to say in those other movies. But th- this movie just has such a you don't really know what's going to happen next. The one thing I don't like about it is the wall-to-wall music. That really gets on my nerves. Really? Oh, I it's really just, respond to it. It's just, it's in every scene. It's like in every moment so that every moment becomes as, yeah. you know, magnified. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the point. Magnified? Mm-hmm. Tyler. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to stop what you were saying, and that's how gotcha. I chose to do it. You did. <laughs> um, okay, wait. number 16, The Wizard of Oz. 
So wow. that is, that's, that's that the is 31. these 130s. And the other one that's not on there, that means it's Gone with the Wind. That's correct. So it kind of surprised Nobody me that Gone submitted. with the Wind is not on the list at all. Nobody submitted Gone with the Wind. I think it's a. I think Gone with I'm the Wind okay is a that. film that uh, that film nerds have kind of abandoned. I feel like for whatever reason, it's it's a film that they just uh, have moved away from. Yeah, I wonder if like it's still a it's great gotten achievement. too old for people in it's some the top way. Top grossing film of all time. Yes, so Wizard of Oz were f- was fifteen. Uh, sixteen. Sixteen. Yes. There. It was my number one. Really? Gone with the Wind. Uh, no, Wizard of Oz was my oh, number Wizard one. Yeah. Yeah. I, Nobody I, submitted it. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Submitted that, that does surprise me. But I wonder if there are a lot of the films earlier on that have often been on lists that were made, you know, in the first twenty to thirty years of cinema that show up on these lists because of the scope, and maybe not purely because of the scope, but that that adds to it. That's one. I, I Birth of the Birth of a Nation is another one that you've yeah. kind of seen people move away from. I think partially because of the racism, but also because maybe. Well, and there's some <laughs> people that feel like there's a lot in Gone with the Wind that's a bit offensive. Yes. Well, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it suffers from that same thing. And I think uh, Gone with the Wind is more engaging than Birth of the Nation. Birth of a Nation is. I feel like uh, you don't get a whole lot of personal investment in any of the characters in Birth of a Nation that much. I do want also wonder if maybe just as a film watching, as a film watching culture, I think maybe we have moved away from melodrama a little bit. It, it could and be. Yeah. You know, Gone with the Wind is very melodramatic. I There's think no still... Douglas Sirk on this list anywhere. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. And I think people tend to almost, well, on the one hand, I want to say people almost laugh a little bit at melodrama nowadays. Yeah. And again, Carol is kind of a melodrama. And that oh, and people really responded yeah, to yeah. that. Oh, Todd, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. Todd Haynes. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's spent his whole life trying to recreate the Douglas Sirk level of uh, melodrama. Mm. Um, I, I have to say this, though, that. There must be something to Gone with the Wind because it's the only movie not on the list that we've talked about more than some of the movies on the list. That's yeah. true. We haven't talked at all about Wizard of Oz. <laughs> That's, That's right. <laughs> well, it's uh, Wizard of Oz is regular. Uh, uh, yeah, so Wizard of Oz was on, I think, my 10, uh, both for that one website years ago and I think for this one as well. I do think it is a marvelous film and sort of a something of a game changer at the time. And the the fact that kids nowadays, like today, can watch and enjoy this film, yeah. I feel like speaks a lot for my it. My son loves totally. it. He's he's four, and yeah, um, my my parents, and on down the line, we all love the movie. All right, we'll move on. Number 15, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb. Nice. Hmm? Uh, yeah, I'm fine with that being a top 15 yeah, film. I think that's a, a good movie. placement for it. Number 14, The Godfather Part 2. Wow. Now we can talk Didn't about it. Right. Top 10. Interesting. So uh, so I wrote the blurb for this one, and in writing it, it actually gave me more appreciation for it. Though, obviously... I say obviously. A number of people will say Godfather Part Two is better than The Godfather. Those people are objectively wrong. I, I feel a little embarrassed because uh, I wrote in my blurb that The Godfather was the mob movie to end all mob movies, and apparently... And there were two more. <laughs> the, the one uh, that was an immediate sequel was, by the listeners at least, considered to be better. Well, it's at the very least, you could say the the universe crafted by uh, Coppola extends to both, but... Yeah. Um, there is... Well, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just feel like that first one, at the if nothing else, that first one has just a powerhouse performance by Marlon Brando. Right. As oh, yeah. good as De Niro is in the same role, 
it's just not as it's not as strong. Yeah. It's not as powerful. And and there's a powerhouse performance by James Caan, who's yeah. not uh, like he Albert uh, he Robert De Niro and Al Pacino were all nominated for Oscars that year. Uh, wait, De, uh, Duval du- for The Godfather, maybe. Don't fight kids. Okay. <laughs> for the first Godfather, Marlon Brando was nominated for actor. Duvall, Khan, and Pacino were all nominated for supporting actor. Yes, yeah. That's I'm saying they were all okay. nominated. Oh, uh, yeah. All those people. So yes. four people. Nice save, Josh. Four of the actors. <laughs> point point to Josh. But Godfather Part Two, Pacino's nominated. Mm-hmm. As a, in supporting, you have Lee Strasberg, De Niro, and I think his name's Michael Gazzo. I don't remember. Um so you had a lot of nominees there too. Yeah. Um, and uh, it appears that if you play Vito Corleone, you will get an Oscar. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's Godfather Part Two is a movie I need to watch again. I think I've seen it twice. I haven't it, seen I've, it as much of it as I've seen The Godfather. Yeah. And Michael's story is so so tragic and and horrible. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I maybe it just comes down to M- Michael's story feels more modern than Vito's story well, the whole movie in, the, feels more in the first Godfather. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the whole deal is that Vito wants to keep things the way they have been with a certain degree of honor. Whereas mm-hmm. Michael is fine to just move forward and get into various other things. Well, and I feel like I naturally will gravitate more towards the Marlon Brando Vito because of what sure. he represents. And the, the Godfather part two for me is a much more unpleasant experience. Yeah. Well, there's a sense like, in what Godfather Part Two is doing with two different stories, the I feel like Godfather One uh, puts both of them together. It's like a synthesis of both of those ideas. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I wrote in my blurb about it that I really love uh, about it and I have thought more about it in recent years is that it's so strong because of the way we're drawn in to things the way Michael is drawn in. Like Michael is so far away from being part of the family at the beginning of the movie. He's sitting around almost laughing at them with Kay. But over time we started to be like, Oh yeah. Like we want him to get back at them. Yeah. We don't want Solozzo to live. Exactly. And you know, the other guys are bad too. Yeah, sure. But like if if the movie's so affecting that we're, we're in, we want to encourage the main character to join the mafia. Yeah. Uh, that's, I feel like that speaks a lot to how powerful the film is and how you're talking about one or two, uh, one. Yeah. I will say two does shed some light again in writing my blurb. It got me to think about why Coppola would have chosen this. And I think uh, chosen to tell these parallel stories. And I think what I came to is we will romanticize Vito and we will condemn Michael. We need to condemn Vito. Absolutely. Like we need, like, Godfather Part Two. When you see, first off, some of the things that he's done, but Vito's story ends somewhat positively, mm-hmm. somewhat in, in Godfather Part Two, uh, and you see that he's going to be a huge crime boss and he's going to be able to do all these things. But you also recognize that while his story ends optimistically, uh, we did just see Michael kill his own brother yeah. and and basically doom his own soul mm-hmm. and he was started on that path by the choices his father a guy that we are prone to say is honorable uh that we are the choices that he made and yeah. so i came to actually appreciate godfather part two a lot more in writing about it i still yeah. think the first one is better but i recognize the fir- the second one is not trying to just do what the first one did it's trying to yeah, absolutely not 
shed new light on the first one and then continue the story. Yeah, well. and I think that's great. I think it's a great continuation just of the real, story. And just real quick, um, I, I watched it for the first time recently. Oh, okay. Ever Godfather two, and and, and so it, it felt like a obviously it was a fresh experience, but I had so many expectations hmm. because of the fact that so many people thought it was either the best sequel ever made or it was better than its original the only movie that's better than its original and so i i think because of that it, it kind of let me down but I, as i was thinking about it and this kind of fits in with the, what you guys are saying there's a there's there's two letdowns and, and both of them are tied to the fact that marlon brando is not in the movie mm-hmm. marlon brando i hate this word but he anchors that movie uh with such a kind of a a lumbering resigned menace it's is how i would describe it it's like it's he's there he's kind of in the shadows a lot you don't see his eyes a lot and and two the main focus of the movie is michael and he's pacino and pacino is wide-eyed and like tight-lipped and and he's aggressive and he's a different kind of central anchor but he's also i mean Vito's in the movie but brando isn't in the movie and so you're, you're let down by the fact that the Vito you're watching isn't the Vito that you came to know you see him becoming Vito, but you never see him as Vito. There's, there's, for me, there was like a crucial moment that I wanted to see where, and it sounds a little on the nose when you say it, but in the context of the movie, if I could have just seen one shot of him behind the desk, a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. and like waving somebody in, and that's the last thing you see of him, instead of like with his baby, yeah. and like positive, like you were talking about. If you could see that, okay, this is what he's becoming, or this is what he has become. He is now the character that we know from the original movie. We don't even see him in the back corner of that room at the desk. It's like, oh, he could almost be Brando. Yeah. Um, you don't get, so you don't get the anchor that you got in the first movie that was so riveting in, in the backstory, and you don't get it in Michael in the continuing story. And so it feels like a letdown twice. <laughs> and I was watching the movie going, I, I'm not, I'm not getting this. I'm not, I don't understand why this is considered so much better. Well, I feel both artistically, but also I think maybe this is a choice on the part of Coppola is that older Vito is a, is wiser. There's a reason that we like him in that he, he probably has gained more honor. Uh, but, and you're right to say that he's the anchor because once Vito dies, the, the, the family is adrift Mm -hmm. at that morally, whatever. Um, but then at the same time, by by not having such a powerful presence as Marlon Brando, as strong as De Niro can be, um, and and obviously he shouldn't be that level of power because he hasn't gotten that level He's of experience. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's such a... I, I need to rewatch both movies. I've seen the first one several times, but uh, but I need to rewatch that second one. And I'm actually even cu- curious to rewatch the third one. I've never seen the third one. I've only seen the third one once, I think, and it's been years. I think I'd probably appreciate it more now. Um, okay, moving on. Number 13, a movie that, once again, for a long time was in the top three and then just dropped out was Night of the Hunter. Oh, so it disappoints me that it didn't crack the top yeah, 10 because I submitted that one uh, number six on my list. That's that's one that I, maybe I've said this before on the show at some point, but I feel like it's amazing that, I feel like in the last 10 years, everyone has started to be like, wait a minute, this movie's great. Like, I feel yeah, like it yeah. wasn't off and on lists like this, but now it's showing up close to top 10s. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's, I think I saw it in high school. I think I just read about it in some book and it just sounded, honestly, just the visual. I think I saw there was a photo of Harry Powell with yeah. Love and Hate. And I remember thinking like, that in itself is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll watch this. And I certainly didn't know what to 
didn't know it was going to be what it what it is uh, at the time. And there are things that I just I was like, this is there's some weird stuff going on here. Yeah. And as time has gone on, I myself have recognized, oh, this is a, an astounding film at this point. That is my fourth favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. I think I actually I didn't know that. I think I also uh, submitted it in my top ten as well. Number great, twelve, great Seven Samurai. Hmm. Uh, nothing wrong with that. It regularly shows up in the uh, sight and sound top 10, mm-hmm. um, for uh, literally until the last day, uh, seven samurai was w- much lower on the list. Hmm. And for the first two weeks of submissions, seven samurai was ranked way below Rashomon. Hmm. Um, which honestly is my preference. I, I think I, I think I like Rashomon more, Samurai. but I it's been longer since I've seen Seven Samurai. I feel like I need to see it again. I watched it for the first time fairly recently, and it's amazing in a lot of ways. But I think I prefer any number of his movies to to that one. I think I prefer Throne of Blood. I prefer mm. Rashomon. I think I might like Seven Samurai more than Hidden Fortress. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like we're saying like eh, it's okay. It's an amazing achievement. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it did not crack our top ten though. So here we go. Number eleven, The Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> now this was complicated and frustrating because um, you had people. Uh, we had people submitting the trilogy, which I would, which I was willing to accept. We had people submitting Return of the King and Fellowship, and then one person submitted Two Towers. And so even when people had the option, and admittedly I didn't put it out there that they did, but enough people assumed they had the option of putting of doing the trilogy together, which I would have accepted. But uh, it would appear that other people just thought, well, if I'm going to pick one, I'll go with Fellowship. And uh, yeah, so it just missed the top 10. Hmm. Uh, Fellowship is, I think, the best of those three, partially because, and I wrote this in my blurb, that it, it, has, the, it has a difficult task in that it needs to establish the world the story and all of the characters mm-hmm. and the concept of magic and not be ridiculous or bloated yeah it remains it, it winds up being actually still very personal and it, it's definitely the smallest of the three mm-hmm. in scope but it's still pretty amazing yeah um, I, I think i agree that it's the best one of the three too so we are now in the top 10. Hmm. I will preface by saying the top 10 is a weird blend All right. of mainstream and populist and weird and film nerdy. Okay. So here we go. Number 10. And I think this is a top 10 movie because this is more than one lesson. And these are our listeners. The Tree of Life. Oh, number 10. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's like on the one hand, I want to react against there being a movie that's what's that five years old at this point now yeah uh being in the top 10 of all time yeah and yet i love that movie <laughs> well and even sight and sound on their most recent uh release it was in their top 50 really so even yeah. they recognize there's something going on here. i th- i think that one's definitely got some staying power and uh I don't know. It, it was just so powerful to me when I saw it. And I, <laughs> I feel like my movie watching experience of it is is kind of hilarious because I remember sitting and thinking, I don't care if this movie lasts for two more hours. Like I, <laughs> I'm loving just the way that this happens and unfolds. And uh, uh, but behind me in the audience, one guy fell asleep, mm. and another guy loudly complained as we were leaving that they should never let that guy make a movie again. Wow, oh. <laughs> Terrence Malick. <laughs> So, uh, oddly enough, the guy, lo- that guy went back and saw To the Wonder and loved it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a movie. 
it would appear that uh, Tree of Life just needed Ben Affleck. <laughs> I will uh, reference, uh, no discredit to anybody, the Simpsons joke in which uh, uh, Homer walks in as Lisa is watching a Baby Einstein video and uh, Marge asks, what is this? He said, I don't know, the newest Terrace Malick movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that Homer knows who Terrence Malick is, apparently. Um, yeah, it's, and, and I'm, again, I think it will have staying power. I think it's going to show up on lists, you know, from now on. Um, and I'm not at all surprised that it is in the top 10 for a more than one lesson list. Well, I, I cannot be, I cannot cheer on Christian audiences enough for embracing this movie. Cause yeah. I really feel like they, they have so much to embrace in it. And I, I because it's a little bit off the beaten path, it's not necessarily a, it, it's certainly not a normal narrative. Uh, I think people, some people might shy away from it, but I, I, I love what this movie has to say about God and the way that it portrays it. I think it's amazing. Well, and I feel like, um, so the, this is not the next film, but I will say that 2001 is in the top 10 just by process of elimination. You guys figured that out between, uh, Scotsy, mm-hmm. tree of life, 2001, it would appear that ethereal and dense and dense and just intangible yeah and one could at that at metaphysical and then i think you can go from there and just say spiritual that we've got three movies in the top 50 that are very much that mm. um and i feel like and i i respect i respect the incorporation of of, of that if you were well, watching yeah. the, those three movies in one day i feel like <laughs> you you might feel a little bit like God yourself at that moment because you've seen a vast expanse of time, uh, ton, uh, you know, individuals, but then entire cities and civilizations and stuff. Yeah. Um, technology coming and going. And I don't know. It's just uh, very interesting. Well, it seems like uh, as Christians, we're daily, hopefully daily grappling with mystery. And these movies are a cathartic, as movies should be, a cathartic way to deal with that mystery in a tangible way. Yeah. Um, you're kind of letting someone else do it for you in a way. It's like passive mis- mystery catharsis. <laughs> I'll go ahead and say that. Put, sure. put quotes around that, my name under it, put passive, on a poster. <laughs> passive mystery catharsis. Yes. I just, I'm putting Robert words Horner. together. <laughs> okay, number nine, Apocalypse Now. All right. Okay. A film that, that I will always incorporate into my into a, a top ten uh, mm-hmm. best movies of all time. I think it's amazing. I've uh, said many times that there's something really exhilarating about a filmmaker who just needs to get this movie out, even if he doesn't quite know what it means. Hmm. Um, And any movie where more than one person has a heart attack during the making of it, (laughs) uh, you can tell it's something people are putting a lot into. Something like 16 months of shooting, wasn't it? It's like the ultimate and that sort of thing. It's like, we're just, we're going to, we're going to make this guys just stick around. It is, uh, it's a, an astonishing film. I've yeah. never seen it on the big screen. I think I would like to. I'd really um, like to, cause, and I've, I've never seen this movie right, because the only time I saw it, uh, I watched the second tape first. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, no. And, and you didn't know that you were watching second No, I'm getting towards the end of it, and I'm like, how's there going to be a whole other tape of this movie? This really looks like it's wrapping up. <laughs> That's because it was. Oh no. Um, so my, my only viewing of this movie is extremely flawed. So I would really love it if there was a way I could see it uh, on the big screen sometime soon. Hmm. Yeah. It's and listeners, if you haven't seen it, please do check it out. Um, it is visually astounding. It is narratively astounding. There are really indelible characters in it. Uh, still hard to watch. 
it's still very difficult yeah. to watch, but in ways that I think are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and Apocalypse Now is one of those movies that as I talk about it, I feel like I don't know what to say about it because it feels like words aren't appropriate. I felt the same way. I, I, I took this on myself. I wrote the blurb for it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do I say about Apocalypse Now <laughs> that isn't like 15 pages long? Yeah. <laughs> it, it can't be just a blurb. It's got, so I, yeah. I figured out a way, but um, yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. You either need to write a book about it or say nothing. <laughs> I think um, I'll say nothing. All right. Number uh, <laughs> number eight. We are now into the populist section of the top ten. I just, I just remembered two movies that have to be in this top ten, and I think we're going to hit one of them right now. You are correct. We are hitting The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm good. This is one that, like Back to the Future like Shawshank Redemption, like The Princess Bride, it is a new classic. And people will regularly cite it as a top 10 movie. I don't remember if that, again, to go back to that one list that surveyed internet critics. And internet critics are, by their very nature, a certain age. Um, And so, and I don't remember if Empire Strikes Back was in that top 10, but it was close. It was very close. It might have been in the top 10. I don't recall. But, um... Yeah, this is one that just people view as almost the pinnacle of mainstream filmmaking. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that yeah, until right now. Yeah, it, I mean, I love the movie. Love but... it so much, and it's a and it's a very very good movie. It's a great movie. It's yeah. my favorite um, of, of the first trilogy. But I think a lot of people say that, don't they? Oh yeah, a lot of well, people I, do. Yeah. I'm I'm not one who says that, but it's not because I don't like it. You know, I obviously love all three of them. I I think well. I think there's a lot of talk, lot to talk about with Star Wars in terms of that, and I think we can we talk will. about that a little bit later. In a, in a moment, <laughs> what? But uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that it's not <laughs> higher than Star Wars on the list. But we'll get to that. I won't, I won't go into too much. I do love Empire Strikes Back. I feel like some of the most iconic moments of all of Star Wars happen therein, mm-hmm. and um, uh, th- there's bigger emotional beats happening than in it's any just of a better movie. Yeah. It is It is a very, very good sequel. It's everything that a sequel needs to be and that we were just talking about yeah. with The Godfather Part 2. It expands the universe. It deepens our understanding of the characters. And it brings us... And it doesn't just repeat the same thing. That Far from it. I mean, when you look at the way it ends, it sure. is. I mean, a lot of people talk about like, oh, it's just so much darker. Darker doesn't necessarily mean better. It's just when the darkness is just so notably different than the lightness of the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's organic. I think that's the other thing. That like, yeah, you're fighting against something called the Empire. It's hard to fight against an empire and do well for any long mm-hmm. period of time. Mm-hmm. And even if you will win eventually, you're going to lose a lot of battles. And this is a lost battle. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, and this blows my mind, because by the time I started watching movies, all three movies had, had come out. So when someone mentioned to me, and I only recent, uh, realized it recently, when someone mentioned that the Imperial March did not show up until Empire. Right, yeah. right, right, right. It blew my mind. Yeah. Surely that couldn't be true. But in fact, <laughs> no, no, I was going to mention that uh, John Williams has so much to do with, not the success of the film. Obviously, no. Star Wars has everything to do with the success of Empire Strikes Back. Um, but the music, if you just listen to the soundtrack, it's my favorite soundtrack. And it feels it's a really good one. dumb to say that. It's like, well, but what about this? And... Um, but the, the, the music 
counterpoints, I guess is the word, so much of the emotion perfectly in that movie and deepens it in its own way. I can sit and listen, and I'll admit to you here, because it's just you three listening, right? Yeah, no one else um, is listening. These I aren't plugged in. I can listen to the, the soundtrack all the way through, and by the time I get to the last, not the end credits, but the last, the music that's over that last shot. Mm. Oh, right. I can actually, I'll actually cry. <laughs> I'm like, because the the music is so, it's such a beautiful mix of uh, longing and hope and uh, questioning. It's its just, it's all in there if you listen mm-hmm. to it. And that fits that moment so perfectly. It's why you leave the theater going, or turn off your DVD, going, what are they going to do next? What, how, I, right. can, I they, can they really? Thinking about that, I don't, it, there can't be another movie on this list that is as much of a cliffhanger. Hmm. Like that's that's an unusual thing for a movie to to show up on yeah. top hundred lists even that ends with a total cliffhanger, right? Well, I mean, Fellowship of the Ring, but even then, the reason that I would accept the Lord of the Rings trilogy is because it was conceived as one movie. Mm-hmm. Like whereas this, they all knew they were going to make a third yeah. Star Wars. Oh yeah, but still, <laughs> they would have been riding no in the streets if there was no yeah. third movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> If you think this movie is the biggest cliffhanger, you clearly have not seen Whisper of the Heart. (laughs) (laughs) The big cliffhanger there is, why was it included on this list? Not because it's bad, but because four movie guys had not heard of it. Yeah. I'm sorry if you submitted Whisper of the Heart. Explain it to me, please. Number seven, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Speaking of John Williams. Speaking of populism. Yeah. Yeah. It is... It's a wonderful achievement in film. I, I, yeah. it's, so much, it's maybe one of the most fun movies you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. That's made at that level. And maybe one yeah. of the greatest, if not the greatest, straightforward adventure movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And adventure action. And it's just, it is, in many ways, it is like Spielberg drawing on every bit of his filmmaking talent, certainly at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, pre- I obviously prefer Jaws. Um and and E.T. is something special as well, but... Um, as is but yeah. Close Encounters. What was it? As is Close, as close Encounters, yeah. yeah. They're all great. Um, but Raiders is is one that really has a rewatchability. I've seen it many, many times. I saw it when I was a kid. I'll see it when I'm an adult. Um, see it when I'm dead. I'll see, oh, <laughs> at my funeral, I will insist that they bury me with a, a little TV playing Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're like, I didn't think you liked it that much. I really don't, but it's re- very rewatchable. You're walking by a grave um, and suddenly you hear, don't look, Marion, don't look. Where, where's it coming from? See, that way, if somebody, you know, like digs me up, it'll look like, oh, I look like that guy at the end of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's so morbid. And stuff like that is actually one of the reasons that I love it is that it doesn't shy away from like really dark stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it acknowledges that it, it feels like one of those old time Disney adventures where there's some disturbing content as well. Yeah. Um, well, also, that's all right. God is the good guy, ultimately. Yeah. Boy, he sure is. Yeah. He has the last word. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so, bad guy, somehow. All right, number six, Star Wars. Uh, what? Hey. Talk about this? All right. Uh, I don't understand so, this at all. I, I feel like a lot of times, you hear a lot of times people saying Empire Strikes Back is a better movie. And I think from a lot of technical standpoints, maybe, and like I said, it has more, I think it has stronger emotional beats. But I feel like I, this kind of goes for all sequels with me. With me. If it, it can't exist without the first one, and the first one establishes that world so well, 
and drew people in in such in such an amazing way. Uh, you couldn't do anything with that world in Empire Strikes Back unless you had Star Wars. So I, I think the creation of that world, and especially that it's not based on anything else, like you think of the other big uh, uh, sort of tentpole franchise things. You got your like your Harry Potters or your uh, or your Lord Avengers. of the Rings and yeah, things like that. It's all based on something already. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this just came out of George Lucas's head, as much as we kind of malign George Lucas now for kind of wanting to do terrible things to the to the to the franchise, but it's it's so original uh it's so exciting it's got elements of both sci-fi and uh supernatural mystery to it fantasy um yeah yeah and and just visually that world things like like we can't imagine a world without lightsabers now like everybody knows what a lightsaber is and and, right uh, there's so many things like that that this movie created that have not only become movie things that we recognize but cultural linchpins uh, I don't know. I think that says a lot about it. There's an element to Star Wars, and I've said this before, and maybe this is just because it was made before I was born, but there are some movies, great movies, that were made before I was born that I can I can imagine a world without them, that there was a time in movies that this movie didn't exist. Star Wars somehow seems like it has always existed. Yeah. Uh, well, it did happen a long time ago. <laughs> But in a galaxy like, far, like far, far away. Right? No, no, no. Oh. Far, far away. Oh, my really? God. Far, far no. away. I was way off. Blowing my mind. Um, but yeah, and in, in the same way that... Uh, uh, so at Battleship Pretension, we recently did a top 50 scores, and Star Wars was number one. I agree with and, that. And, well, good. I'm glad, as long as you agree <laughs> with it, Reed. But I guess uh, that validates those listeners. I just mean that if I were thinking of, obje- even objectively, because we're talking about, you know, to a certain degree, populism in film, yeah. um, I think that the the conversation about what is popular and what is you know objectively sort of pushing the conversation forward i think star wars is one of those few instances where i think is probably number 1 perhaps on both you know if you're not yeah. getting into say you know classical composers like star wars is arguably one of the most yeah. impressive scores on a technical level that i've ever heard and at the same time is so immensely known by everybody right. yeah so i mean i don't think that there would be much much argument to that degree even though other people maybe perhaps musicians um with a certain particular framework might get into more of well this one's actually doing something more complicated or this one's pushing the conversation forward but i think star wars as a musical score and again that speaks to it's 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 all part and parcel of this this entity that is star wars being so um foundational to so much of what we see in in pop culture now i think something that you said it's like not based on anything and it's not based on anything really yeah but it is based on everything and i think what you said tyler about um it almost seems like it's always been there because so many elements george lucas took from things that we did know forever Mm. mythology and you know all that joseph campbell stuff Mm -hmm. um but not only that but like old film like metropolis um yeah or hidden fortress or did not make the list clearly the um what was the the old sci-fi show that Flash Gordon? Yeah, Flash Gordon. I yeah. Mm-hmm. So all this stuff has kind of been around forever. I just pastiched it, if that's a word. Mm. And I feel like the film is such as is the case with so many of the movies in in our top ten. Uh, the film is is it such a complete whole? It's it's so much greater than the sum of its of its parts. To such a degree, I cannot think of a movie. 
of any other movie that so effectively gets you into what the movie is. Star Wars gets you in five seconds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Literally five seconds. Long ago, far, far away, blast of music, Star Wars, star, and you're seeing stars, and just... The movie is, is has started. You're not there. It's not easing me in. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm on board from the word go. Yeah, and that in itself, it's a function of the music, but it's also a function of just the way George Lucas is choosing to introduce you to this world. It's exciting. He wants you to be excited. Well, that first shot immediately, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it is a wonderful film. And speaking of the populism too, I've thought about this recently. I was trying to think if there is one movie, like say, if you were going to meet anyone anywhere in the world and you had one movie that you could use to try and connect with them hmm. i feel like that's the one that you are it is most likely that anyone in the world will have seen for me it's bottle rocket i try with bottle rocket i failed then i go to star wars <laughs> you'll have better luck with star wars like bottle rocket is huge in uganda apparently I mean, <laughs> all right they love it number five populism over um <laughs> Our top five, we are now firmly into film nerd camp. And some some of these movies are, are also fairly popular, but not to the extent of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Rage of the Lost Ark. Mm. Number five, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Okay. So, mm-hmm. and I say populism over, it was very popular at the time. Yeah, But yeah. It's, it's not a movie that people will go out and see, right. you know, that you're going to show your kids over and over. Yeah, you're not going to have a barbecue and be like, you know what, let's watch Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would, lo- w- wouldn't you love Lawrence of Arabia toys? I would. Um, yeah, there you go. But, uh, there's sand. Now, Josh and I just recorded about Lawrence of Arabia yeah. uh, a few minutes ago, and so I don't necessarily want to repeat uh, too much of what, what the listeners will hear in a couple of weeks, because uh, I don't want or, them to... Or have already heard on the... <laughs> episodes uh previously where we talked about the film yeah uh lawrence of arabia is in my opinion uh, a perfect film it is uh it is a a perfect blend of spectacle and character um and the idea specifically that the spectacle is revolving around a character who is himself something of a mystery um and yet that doesn't feel unstable that doesn't feel like something that is just is wrong um it's all just so beautifully realized. It's, I think this, what I just said about Star Wars could probably be said of any movie in this top 10, that it is this complete whole. And that just from the, from the beginning to the end, the world of T.E. Lawrence and of, you know, the first world war um, is just fully realized. And I don't know, it's Lawrence of Arabia is also one of the 10 that I will, one in my opinion one of the 10 best movies ever made Mm. so yeah all right we'll move on wait can can we pause just for a second sure i am so sorry to admit this we all have movies that we've never seen that we should have seen i've never seen lawrence of arabia all the way through (laughs) i don't think tyler can go on here's the thing his eyes i'm not mad i've seen a bunch of it excited for you oh because you live in los angeles give it time it would give it a f- couple of months. It might be showing tonight on a big screen. Honestly, uh, one of the reasons I put it off, um, I've lived in Los Angeles for quite a number of years and it has shown up on big screens. I just haven't been able to get to it. I'm like, I'm going to wait. And then time goes by, years go by, and then I have to admit it to my like movie <laughs> friends that I've never seen Lawrence of Arabia. Number five on the MTOL list. Right? Yeah. Five, four, five? Five, five. So, yeah, there you go. Mm. That's my moment of honesty. Well... <laughs> 
Uh, I'm excited for you. Keep an eye out at uh, like the uh, American the Cinematheque. Egyptian throws it up a lot. lot. Yeah. yeah. And I saw it at the Egyptian, and it's just gorgeous. Oh. Absolutely. All right. Number four. The Sight and Sound number one, uh, which is Vertigo. Mm. Um, Ooh, we're, we're getting, Reed yeah, and I are getting pretty getting, close it's to. It's pretty uh, close. It, it would be hilarious because this is four, right? Yeah. It would be hilarious if two and three are Casablanca <laughs> in 2001. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Now, um, I, uh, like I said with Psycho, um, I, said, I said a lot of what, there's so much to say about Vertigo. Um, I love it. Uh, the common, I, my, I started my little blurb with the common comment that I hear whenever I show that movie to people for the first time, when it's over, they say that was not what I was expecting. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect way to sum up vertigo. It's, it's not what you're expecting from a mystery, from a thriller, from a Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. It's not what you're expecting really on any front, except for maybe the fact that it stars Jimmy Stewart and he kind of plays a character that you're accustomed to seeing mm-hmm. him kind of play. But even still, yeah. he's doing some interesting, more more layered things than we've seen before. He becomes downright unlikable. Yeah. Very, yeah. very quickly. Well, yeah. and I said uh, I said this in my blurb, and, and um, I'm really glad that I'm getting the chance to, to talk about this movie, um, but uh, what, I, what I will say is a, a lot of people are thrown by the fact that the, the plot mystery is not really the point of the movie. Right. Yeah, that, exactly. the, that the narrative is not what we're focusing on, that there is a mystery within this character mm-hmm. that um, is much more fascinating to Alfred Hitchcock as a storyteller. And that's that's what gets resolved. Like both of the mysteries kind of get resolved, but but critics of the movie will tend to say like, well, some of those plot twists were a little convenient. It doesn't and, matter. But it doesn't matter. In that, in that movie. In yeah. that movie, the, the point is what's happening with with right. Jimmy Stewart's character. Everything that we expect from any movie, the characterization, the plot, all of that is subverted for theme. Right. Because he's all about, let's let's talk about, or let's show a guy who's obsessed yes. with this thing, which we've all been obsessed by something at yeah. some point in our lives so we can relate. There's still that relatability, but you're not going to get satisfied by the plot. Exactly. Yeah, this movie. You can't yeah. because of what it's about. Yeah. And two-thirds of the way through the movie, it, in just one flashback, he like, there's there's the mystery the mystery's over yeah what are you going to do now i mean what, what are you going to do with these characters well there's still a lot more to do because yeah. you're not about the plot you're about right. where this guy's going to go what he's going to do to satisfy his own obsession and it had, the film begins and ends at a height and the only similarity between those two things are the man that stands at both of them and right. it's it's just very interesting to me uh, the film is called Vertigo. I think I said this in my blurb that, you know, like Vertigo is a condition that when you get to heights, it, you start to get a little dizzy. And I think in many ways it can it can be metaphorical and symbolic of kind of the heights that people will try to take when they are obsessed or when they are trying to yeah. to get to someplace and uh, and and just what you will do to try to accomplish. I love uh, Hitchcock's that. style. He does this in a lot of movies where he, he takes a – in Cary Grant and uh, Notorious mm-hmm. – he takes an actor who has been established as a certain way mm-hmm. and there's certain expectations about who that character is that he's going to play. Even if it's a darker character, it's not going to go dark like right. a Hitchcock movie. And obviously, uh, Stewart had already done all, all the Anthony Mann movies and so he had shown a darker side of himself, but those movies start out where he's dark. Yeah. And he just gets a little darker or a little more questioning about his own motives and all that kind of stuff. In this movie, he starts out like Jimmy Stewart. He starts out right. like a Jimmy Stewart character. Oh, I'm not going to do that case and all this stuff. Um, kind of hemming and hawing and making jokes and hanging out with this cute girl in her apartment and 
but it goes somewhere else. It's not a Jimmy Stewart movie, uh, the Jimmy Stewart you see in any other movie, yeah. any other movie. Right. And I, to take an audience in 1956, was it, 57? Something uh, like that. Yeah, I think so. And oh. have them sit down in a theater for a Jimmy Stewart movie, another Hitchcock, because he's already been in a couple of Hitchcock movies at that point. And, uh, and then take him down that road. You're like, as an audience member, what are you thinking? Oh, my gosh. Jimmy Stewart? What, where am I? And and yeah. here's the mystery. Where are we going to go with this for another half an hour? Right. Yeah. Wow. It's a it's a powerful movie. It's it's funny. I I feel like we see that more more often nowadays, where a filmmaker will take a take an actor and know that we have an expectation of that actor and kind of turn it on its head. And I wonder if Hitchcock was really the first one to do that because those are the earliest examples of it I can think with uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart in that one, with Cary Grant, Notorious, even with uh, Jan Lee in Psycho. Like, Absolutely. oh yeah, I think yeah. that's that was kind of innovative of him to do he also did it in the 1920s silent film the lodger where he oh, yeah? took uh ira novello who was a very popular oh, yeah. good-looking mm-hmm. guy and uh cast him as a potential uh jack the ripper type and so he was doing that his whole career yeah that's yeah it's um so he probably is the first one too he was doing it in the possibly. 20s <laughs> uh and yeah as as for myself i will say that vertigo is a film that is inherently filmic I'm not sure even why I say that, except that, like, Robert, you were saying that the narrative isn't necessarily what matters. It's theme as realized visually and right. uh, aurally um, because the music is so hypnotic. Mm. And the visuals are also committed to being hypnotic to the point of even having, like, an odd dream sequence right. and having just, like, weird spiral shapes yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like, this is – he is trying to just – I'll use the word hypnotize again. He's trying to like hypnotize you and just bring you and just sort of lull you into this this place where you are just completely in his hands. Uh, it's a marvelous film, but we need to move on. Here we go. Number three. Citizen Kane. Wow. Oh, so one, one of, of us, us is right. right. Wow. One of us is right. <laughs> this is very exciting. And I was very wrong. Um, <laughs> we'll see. And I, I kind of feel like I win either way because Casablanca is my favorite movie. Oh, <laughs> 2001 see? is the one I picked. So yeah. either way. Uh, yeah, Citizen Kane, it's uh, my, for a long time, it was my favorite movie of all time. It is now my second favorite movie. Uh, I I think I probably do consider it the best movie ever made. Um, to the extent that... I talk about Citizen Kane the way I would talk about Apocalypse Now, which is like, what What am I going to say yeah. <laughs> in 2016 mm-hmm. about Citizen Kane that I'm going to say billions of people haven't said already? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just such a such a wonderfully realized film. And the way that I just actually said about Vertigo is that it is just such it's so filmic. Nothing about the story of Citizen Kane requires that it be made the way Orson Welles made it, whether it be the way he's choosing to tell the story, that this is a guy who is a public figure. So how appropriate that we learn about him from other people's perception of him Um, and that we're, in fact, introduced to him. I guess we're introduced to him, you know, uh, in Xanadu, but as a life story, we're first introduced to him in this newsreel. Right. And, but then just the visuals that, that Wells employs, this is a straightforward, it's a character study. It's a straightforward character study. Why did he, why did he feel he had to make it with the, with such flagrant use of an optical printer? Why did he have to do that? And I think it's because he recognized that he is just telling a story about this larger than life man and trying to bring him down to earth, not trying to take him down, but trying to bring him down to earth so that we can understand him. But not unlike T.E. Lawrence, Charles Foster Kane is not super understandable 
least of all to anybody to outsiders and by outsiders i mean anybody not him and then when it is finally revealed what rosebud is you can make the argument that he like oh wow yeah only charles foster kane knows what he wants mm-hmm. but i don't think he would know exactly why he wants it yeah that's the other thing or how to explain that to anyone yes and it's just such a remarkable film and one that i i've also seen that on the big screen and it just it just gains tremendously yeah, it does all right, so we are going to reveal two and one together because when you Ooh. reveal two, you might as well reveal one. Sure, there you go. Number two, Casablanca. Oh, Whoa, you win. You win yeah. all the things. I get the pie, right? All the things. <laughs> sure. I said something about it. Bake a pie, and all right. it is yours. Get to bacon. I would not trust any pie that I make, oh. uh, especially right. for you. So, um, <laughs> because I will poison it. Yeah, so I guess this is a thing we can talk about. Wait, so that means number one is? Number one is 2001, A Space oh, Odyssey. Got it. Is that not crazy to you? This is Not because it's a bad movie, but mm. I would if you had said, hey, uh, this is a, a Christian podcast about movies, uh, they're going to pick their uh, what they think is the best movie of all time. By a wide margin, once again. Hmm. 2001. 2001, A Space Odyssey oh. is not what I would have said. Mm. I don't but, think I would have either. But it also kind of makes sense. Yeah. And, well, and before we get into that, let's let's talk about Casablanca for a moment. Yeah, and uh, I will say uh, I will say two things the, the about about each movie. So first of all, Casablanca is one of my all time favorites. I think it's it, it, the fact that it was made in the '40s and it still resonates and is still accessible to audiences now is such a remarkable achievement. I do think it's probably one of the greatest love stories. It harkens back plot wise to another film to an, uh, actually a book that I love tremendously and that's A Tale of Two Cities hmm. in many ways it's it's similar narratively and similar in the character of Rick to what happens uh, where you have somebody who basically makes the ultimate decision for for love but to his own detriment um, and uh, and I will say this on 2001 and then I'll I'll kind of uh, yield the floor to everyone is uh, it, for 2001 I do think that it was either Arthur C. Clarke or Stanley Kubrick it sounds more like a Clarke thing to say um, although he never elaborated on it, where he said people have no idea that we've just made the first religious science fiction film. Oh, and that no was a, and that was a and that was a <laughs> quote from Arthur C. Clarke, which I think uh, you know I don't know this for definitively, but I think Clarke and Kubrick both considered themselves to be at least agnostic, if not atheist, hmm. but yet made you know a very overtly kind of spiritual sort of sort of narrative and mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of I, I would definitely I see a lot of sort of spiritualism elements in 2001 both visually and with its uh, what you would call its its kind of loose narrative yeah it is worth noting that uh, when we did Josh when you and I did an episode about tree of life our number 10 the companion film was 2001 of course yeah number one which is fitting we were already talking about sort of these uh, these kind of ethereal ones that have a, an atmosphere or something kind of uh, floating and, and vaguely religious and spiritual about them. And this is certainly one of those. All right. And, and we can get back to 2001 in a moment, but Josh, you Casablanca is your favorite film of all time. It you is, love yeah. it so much. And I, I, I totally agree with uh, what Reed said. Like I, I love thematically what it's doing and I'd never thought of the tale of two cities uh, uh, thing before. So that's really interesting. But, um, not only I feel like it's one of those movies that people talk about it as being sort of the pinnacle of the studio system films, and I totally agree with that because it's a lot of parts coming together to make one great thing together. Um, 
the the writing's fantastic the direction is great the so much of the acting is 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 fantastic and then thematically it's hitting so many big ideas and hitting them so well like it does the romance great it does patriotism great it does uh it does comedy it does thriller like it's doing all of these things kind of at the same time none of them having to sacrifice to the other ones in, in order to to work and um uh, <laughs> there's something about Rick too that makes him feel like the quintessential American, if that makes any sense. No, totally. Like he's 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 rugged and he's individu- individualistic, but he has these strong morals, and he's gonna stick to those, mm-hmm. and and like he will do the right thing. Well, he's very end. much like a cowboy. Yeah, totally. Um, he he's got his moral code. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna tell you what it is unless he's pressed to say what it is. Yeah, he's still gonna act on those, and they're, they're very clear actions. Mm-hmm. Um. But he's he's very. That's what makes him American. Is that, or the, you know, the stereotypical American. I yeah. guess is just that idea of kind of being tacit, taciturn mm-hmm. and uh, not wanting to jump in until you have to, not wanting to commit necessarily. Yeah. Um, playing both sides until mm-hmm. you can kind of find your own way. Yeah. Um, yeah. He sticks his neck out for nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I think my oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say I, th- I think one of one of the things I no- mentioned in the blurb too was that I, I love the way that Casablanca stands in as a place where it's a place where nobody really is there. Like everybody is from somewhere else and everybody's either trying to get away from something or trying to get to something. And it's this weird, almost purgatory kind of in between thing. Yeah, great point. And, and I, I really like I really like the treatment of the play. That, that's why the name. I think I think the the, the play is called Everybody Comes to Rick's, but Casablanca is yeah. a better name. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It, you could almost call it like you know Limbo, or yeah. something like that. Because, yeah. and and it's worth noting that our main character is the one person that is there by choice, yeah. and and this is where he's going to stay. And when you're the only person, when you're the person that's settled there, and everybody else is coming and going. You are all you are kind of living a transient life, but you're just not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's uh, something I I've find fascinating about that character and just the way that the familiarity with, um, you know, uh, Claude Rains character yeah. or Sydney Greenstreet or Peter yeah. Laurie. And just you come to realize that. That the world of Casablanca is is set and these guys all know each other. Nobody likes each other. <laughs> um and everybody's being very exploitative, but uh, but everyone knows the rules. Everybody knows how this place works, which is why when the when these papers come in, uh, letters of transit, right? Yeah. Uh, when they come into play and everybody wants them, it's just like, no, this is not how Casablanca is supposed to work. We all know what parts we have to play, and we're just going to play them. Uh, and it just really. You know, the letters of transit are something of a, of a MacGuffin. Yeah. Right. Um, but they're a very effective MacGuffin. They said emotionally, th- certainly. They throw everything into into disarray. Yeah. Um, and Claude Rains again. I love Claude Rains. And I am i don't know if I could say this is necessarily my favorite performance of his, but it might be. He's he's fantastic. Fantastic. In it. And uh, one of my favorite L.A. movie experiences, when I'd seen the movie a couple of times before I saw it on the big screen here in L.A. And I... You don't really get the comedy until you see it with a crowd. <laughs> I mean, you, you see that it's there and you might chuckle at a couple of things, but it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that is funny yeah. because the audience is clearly laughing at it. It's like just a kind of a look or the way somebody moves off camera or, yeah. you know, just all these things are just very nuanced. And well, one thing about the movie, uh, especially the setup where you, where you do see all these people, you mentioned, Josh, uh, all these people kind of coming in and out. Um, 
it's it's in the background all the time that this without really being talked about that much that it's World War II. Mm-hmm. And the reason there's so much chaos is because people are fleeing for their lives. Yeah. yeah. It's like the worst possible scenario just landed in their hometown. Yeah. And they have to get out as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Or they're on the run like Laszlo is from good things that he's done. Um, and I love the fact that if you kind of take, take a step back from the comedy aspect of I mean it's clearly played some of it's played for comedy like yeah. the guy checking for his wallet after the guy just leaves the table mm-hmm. it's kind of played for comedy but not really when you think about it because that's that's the guy's life the guy mm-hmm. just got had his life stolen yeah. and those little vignettes kind of stacked together paint a picture of chaos mm-hmm. um, war chaos wartime chaos that never really goes away once it's been established as well as it has been yeah it's just fascinating and mm-hmm. it speaks again to the the I, I hate when people say this, but when the setting is a character in and of itself. So the character of Casablanca is when you realize these things, that these are just innocent people wanting to get their their families out of the, a terrible situation. Right. And Casablanca, assuming it's a character, is just sitting back behind a desk saying, all right, but what can you do for me? Right. Well, and, and that it happened. makes you realize just how kind of morally decadent it is sure. when you look at like the Sydney Green Street character and the Peter Lorre mm-hmm. character, and and the way Claude Rains approaches that uh, the young girl who's trying to get out, like yeah. that's that directly. And it's amazing that though you see such a range of the people who are trying to get the papers, anyone from like a girl like that yeah. to uh, uh, Peter Lorre at the beginning of the film, yeah. who are opposites, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it it really is a marvelous film. When you know, when I first saw it in high school, I was stupid and I was being, <laughs> I was being contrarian and I just and I and also I had no patience for any romance in any sure. movie. Um and then uh and so I saw it and I was just like, "Yeah, it's fine." I you know, the Bogart Green Street Lori connection caused me to think of compared immediately to Maltese Falcon. Mm, sure. They acted alongside each other frequently in other movies. Um Beat the Devil. And it Others. just uh, it just uh, didn't measure up to Maltese Falcon. Hmm. And even though I personally prefer Maltese Falcon, I can still watch Casablanca and recognize just how brilliant and perfect it yeah. is in many ways. I like that the movie gives uh, Rick, of all people, just uh, he calls himself cynical. Mm-hmm. Maybe not with that word, but I stick my neck out for no man is essentially yeah. cynicism, especially in wartime. And but it still gives him the movie gives him moments to be a human being and totally. Bogart is as a little sidebar but but Bogart I mean this is like you talking about whatever movie you said well what am I going to say about Citizen Kane yeah mm-hmm. I mean but when you think about Bogart and you watch Bogart in these movies from the forties but further back you go and you see kind of who he is on screen it's like how how is he acting alongside these other people because for the most part people are acting like they act in the forties. It's like, Mm. that's the acting style, but he is not doing that. Hmm. He's, he's a real person in these movies Mm -hmm. and he's a real person. He's a real character, hand in pocket, kind of looking, slinking along, hoping nobody talks to him, even though he's the the guy that owns (laughs) the place. And, but there's a a quality to him that feels so modern Yeah, that that's, that's your end to this movie. If you've never seen it before, it's like you, you glom onto him and his, his, you could just take what he's doing in this movie and transplant it to now, and it's it works. It still works. Yeah. He's a very in the moment actor. Like he's yeah yeah not not in the way that we consider in the moment anymore, which is just like it's like oh he's so, he's so random. You never know what he's going to do. 
he's just he's so present yes. he's always there a hundred percent like if you look at his eyes especially you can just see that he is completely engaged mm-hmm. with the person that he's talking to and he's reacting organically and naturally and even though you know he had the lisp and he just he seems like an old-timey actor but his instincts are very absolutely modern. when you see which is why i don't know if anybody's seen in a lonely place but it is. I haven't, no, it's a great movie. It's, it's great sitting movie. right by my TV right now, and I think it is. <laughs> yeah. I think it's his best performance. But also, if you look at him in, you know, the Kane Mutiny, mm-hmm. and you just see that he doesn't. He can change the nature of who he is, but not it's actually do much. You know, yeah. just by because he recognizes that if I change the inside of the character, that'll be enough, and I don't need to yeah. put on some accent or something like that. Um, what the mo- moment, though, that I was thinking of uh, specifically that really gets to me in this movie and the moment that the movie allows him to have, uh, among many others, is the moment he's sitting outside on a ta- at a table with, uh, with uh, uh, Lawton, uh, not Lawton, um, who, the, the guy you just said. that uh, Claude Rains. Rains. Claude Rains, oh, yeah. I, I was trying to think of his character's name and I couldn't. Louis. R- Louis, mm. of R- course. Louis. Renault. Louis. Um, but he's sitting at the table and they're watching the planes take off. And Rick has just kind of leaned over and uh, Louis says something about, well, why don't you take one of those planes? He's kind of saying it offhand, almost like a stab. It's like, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. Clearly, you're stuck here because of who you are, who you've become. Um, but he's not saying that. He's just saying, why don't you get on that plane, Rick? And he, I forget what Rick says, but it's a look in his eye. Mm-hmm. And he just looks at that plane and he's like, I could, but I can't. And I don't really know why. Yeah. There's, I, I'm stuck here. I'm, it is purgatory for him. Yeah. Uh, I just I, I love that med- that m- moment seals the deal for, in terms of his the realness of his character is that mm-hmm. moment right there yeah um, and we should we should move on now and I should say by the way uh, in case anybody's wondering wow they really are ignoring Reed uh, Reed <laughs> had to leave uh, so it's just going to be the three of us which is why he uh, threw in his uh, two cents about two thousand one there. Um, and I will actually He's build on that. Shame faced over his defeat to me. <laughs> <I guess laughs> he totally just couldn't, couldn't out. stay here. Didn't say another word. Just um, left. <laughs> but uh, I was so happy when one said Casablanca and the other said 2001. Boy, <laughs> oh boy, that was um, perfect. That's good TV. And then, and the mo- and I'm sure, I'm sure both of you were thinking like, well, nobody said Citizen Kane yet. That's probably going to be number. Yeah, one. I know. I thought I was looking back at the list and I was like, oh shoot, that was a good pick too. Um, but yeah, so uh, and I'll Magnolia. piggyback on what. Um, uh, Reed said about the the spiritual spirituality of 2001 and of about science fiction. It is to the point now that between this and Solaris and um, oh shoot now I can't and I can't think of uh, of, of other ones at the moment. But there are a, there are a number of uh, oh I guess even a movie sort of like Interstellar though it doesn't actually want to yeah. be spiritual it yeah. is. Um, there, there is a strain of you could say metaphysical, but that's just a sci-fi way of saying spiritual. Sure, um, that's probably a little dismissive of the term <laughs> metaphysical. But uh, there is a strain of I would say hard sci-fi, so it's not action-based or monster-based or anything like that. It's not alien. Um, that does seem really intrigued at the notion of if you go deep enough into exploration whatever that might be, space, yourself, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, you will eventually get to the point where you leave the science part behind and you get into the fiction or you at least get into the stuff that cannot be explained. Right. Yeah. The stuff that is 
underneath all everything that can be measured. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 2001, I don't know if that's if it's the first instance of that. I would say that Forbidden Planet has it a little bit with mm-hmm. the monsters of the id and stuff. But um, but even then, there's kind of a scientific explanation. Whereas 2001, they specifically go out of the way not to give a scientific explanation. Oh, yeah. And that mystery is even personified by the monolith. Yeah. Um, they literally have just this shape. Yeah. It's an object. There is no explanation for yeah. it. There's no explanation for what it means, how it got there, what it does. Yeah. Or even it's 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 a shape, but it's a little shapeless. Yeah. And it said there's nothing on it. It's what is it? Unadorned. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow... <laughs> I think of the monolith, it's weird to think of the monolith as a character that you know. The monolith is devoid of personality, but there's just something about when it shows up that you feel like, oh, the monolith seems to think this is very important. <laughs> yeah, the, even the fact that we we might ascribe thoughts or, yeah. or uh, uh, intents to it. Yeah. Like the, the, the fact that we think of this... B- meaningless black object is kind of having a will of some kind yeah is amazing i think the music helps yeah that, definitely oh, the stuff definitely well, that was actually pretty good <laughs> but try it again <laughs> I, I can't do that again. Okay. sorry so. you've destroyed your voice um <laughs> yeah it's and 2001 by the way is a film that i hit that i've never really responded to emotionally because it's not really an emotional film i do respond when hal is dying so that's <laughs> worth noting uh but well, it's, it's kubrick it's kubrick style to kind of be yeah separate from human emotion yeah but it's definitely an intellectual film but Mm -hmm. if you do it right and you really try to engage with this film intellectually i think it will probably kickstart an emotional response in you especially if you are a christian if you are concerned with the spiritual side of things um and you watch this film and even even your intellectual confusion will get you to have uh, my the the emotional response to that will be like well hang on hang on a minute okay so no i i need to try and figure out what the movie means and i need to try and figure out once i determine what i think it means what's my response that's what i meant earlier about the there being a catharsis in these kind of films for people who are seeking spiritually anyway Mm -hmm. it's like it contains that amorphous feeling of like i don't understand what god is yeah um well i don't understand what this is either but i know that the filmmaker must have so you put a little bit of faith if you will in the filmmaker that there is an answer here mm-hmm. to yeah. what this version of mystery means so it helps you it gives you a place to start with your own mystery yeah um it's not going to give you an answer I mean, 2001 does not substitute for, you know, hearing a great sermon that has practical applications, et cetera. Sure. Um, but, or even seeing a better movie if you think 2001 is lacking. You know, there's other movies mm-hmm. that can do it as well. But 2001 is the, among, it, it's the epitome of that kind of movie for me, where it, it, it kind of launches questions about uh, not who I am so much as what does it all mean? Yeah. And uh, going back to Vertigo, there's that, metaphysical moment where they're in sequoias and they see the the cutout piece that's like hanging on a tree itself which is kind of morbid um macabre but um and you know it's got when this circle of the tree was it was like when the magna carta was signed Mm -hmm. and it's way deep in the tree that's how old this tree is it's like that moment is like it's almost like the whole movie it's like this question of like of 2001 it's like 
if our lives are that short, and yet our lives are so packed with this much meaning, what does that meaning mean? Yeah. What is the point of that meaning? And 2001 doesn't give you the answer. I'm not trying to say that. But 2001 is a great point of departure for asking that kind of question with regard to your own search, your own journey. And I think one of the things that we talked about in our Tree of Life episode where we talked about 2001 is that in regards to the monolith, I cannot think of a more certainly simplified uh expression of there is something in this universe that is apparently all powerful and is interested in us right. and is willing to quite literally intercede because I've all people have different definitions of what the monolith is but monolith does seem to show up and and shortly thereafter uh, we advance so it could be like the thing that spurs on evolution whatever you want to say or inspiration mm-hmm. um and, but the monolith, as cold as it might seem, maybe that's why I look at it as a, as having a personality or having uh, intent, because it does seem to have purpose and purpose. its purpose involves us. And so yeah. while 2001 is an emotionally cold movie, I do find myself not necessarily comforted by it, but I can't think of a better word. Uh, <laughs> The idea that in the broadest possible sense, because, yeah, I'm not going to say that Stanley Kubrick is trying to explore the idea of God, but just the idea of, no, we there is significance to us. As vast as the universe might be and as vast as human history might be and we're just one person, we're important to this thing in some capacity. And, you know, if at the very least, you know, the monolith shows up in the midst of all those apes and they advance and then it shows up and then we can, you know, do, we can engage in space travel, uh, more complex space travel, but then it shows up at the foot of a guy's bed. Yeah. I can't think of anything more personal than that. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so as he's dying, as he's dying, you know, and then he's reborn not necessarily he's reborn, but then there's this new entity. Uh, and so, I don't want to be reductive of 2001 and say that it's only about these things, but no. it's not not about them either. Yeah, those are <laughs> right. definitely major themes, and those are those are the things that drive it forwards. I think without without that, it's just kind of a sequence of beautiful images. Yeah, and so listeners, feel free if you submitted 2001 uh, in any capacity, um, you win. You win, yes. You win the <laughs> what prize. What do they win, you, you Tyler? Can share part of my pie. <laughs> Ooh, don't eat the pie that I make for It Josh. might be poison. It will be poison. Uh, might be poison. I'm making the pie, and I'm telling you. I'm staying positive. Because I actually want to see if you'll be able to resist eating the pie, because I know you like mm. pie. Is there going to be whipped cream on top of this there pie? There will be. I'm going to die. Oh, yeah. Even poisoned. Can I have some? It sounds good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if, if you uh, submitted 2001, please uh, let us know why not because we're mystified why you would but because i want to know why listeners of a christian podcast you know it could have been citizen kane when battleship pretension did their top 100 citizen kane was number one 2001 i think was number two or three Hmm. sight and sound 2001 is not number one but for the christian podcast more than one lesson 2001 a space odyssey is number one by a wide margin that's crazy and kind of amazing to me. 
It's yeah. cremazing. <laughs> and that's not how I want to end the show. Uh, so I will say that thank you, everybody, for uh, participating in uh, in the the generation of the list. And you can go and look, you can look at morethanonelesson.com. And for the top 25 uh, various uh, writers, uh, Reed, Robert, Josh, myself, Jim, Travis, and Daryl, uh, we all wrote little blurbs for these films. So, um, and we'll, we're going to continue after this episode airs. We're going to continue posting uh, a few for the next. It's couple fun of to days. write. So, um, so yeah, uh, feel free. You, you, you know, the conversation is not over, uh, especially if you like Shawshank Redemption and feel like I have insulted you. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can email me Tyler at MoreThanOneLesson dot com. And uh, I think that is it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Robert, thanks for being here. You got it. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Reed, thanks for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> that's a that's not my impression of Reed, by the way. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty close. That was my ad libbing skill. For that's a moment, I thought moments. he was just outside the door. Um, Reed was okay. replaced by a goblin, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I really like the exercise. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, let's end on that. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. That was on the list.